The year is 2020. A wasteland and a field of ruin have destroyed our mana bases. There is but one solution, one way to save the metagame. Brave souls working for the benefit of us all. Welcome to the Astrolab. everyone and welcome again to the astrolab the only podcast on the internet everyone seems to want to ban these days and guess what they managed to do it in one more format so yay as always i am one of your co-hosts joe dyer and with me as always is mr scott campbell how you doing tonight scott pokemon cards and happy meals and there's 150 packs for a thousand dollars what the oh hey joe sorry uh just Reading up on more trading card game stonks. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, this is insane. Like, is Taco Bell going to put something in their meal packages too now to get these Zoomers to go out and buy? Come on, this is oh my god, that's just stupid. All right, anyway. my my daughter has a couple packs of those. Like that, that that's cool for kids, right? But like, yeah. you know, and there may be ones that are rare. What? Oh, just, yeah, it's kind of obnoxious that people are just going out and like buying them up. Yeah, uh, simply because like it makes it kind of hard to get them for people that just are legitimately just going to go get food. Right, <laughs> right. And not only that, but um, from what I understand, uh, within the or with January's numbers, uh, Pokemon outsold Magic. Both are doing well, but I heard Pokemon outsold Magic. Yeah, so... I'm kind of almost considering. Uh, trying to look up to see what would be the best product to buy for like my daughter and I, so that maybe I could teach her, start with her on like a kind of a card game kind of thing, and start teaching her maybe Pokemon. Yep. So, uh, oddly enough, that's where I started with my daughter. Uh, yeah. We we tried it out when the Pokemon TCG first came out. Uh, she was just kind of like, oh, whatever, um, and even I couldn't really like get a good grip on it because I didn't want to like go too in, into the paint and just dunk on her, right? Right. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, she's not getting into it. I, I'm I'm going off how she's reacting, not right. how I'm enjoying it. Uh, it turns out that, you know, fast forward four years later after that, uh, Magic's the thing, and she wanted me to teach her how to play Magic, knowing that we used to play Pokemon. Uh, so in a way, it kind of worked, and we had a few years of FNM, but anyway... Um, Sidetrack aside, I'm doing okay. Uh, just been going through some of my collection, uh, deciding what no longer to have, uh, and get get some some cash uh, for some of my cards, um, and just kind of, you know, it's kind of a light news week. Nothing's really going on in Magic, right? <laughs> oh wait, no. Um, and then um, just looking over the uh, the Black is Magic stuff. Uh, first thing. I think I may have mentioned last episode that they were available now, at least at the time of that show posting. No. That's incorrect. They're available yeah. now, now, as of this recording. The secret no, layer Valentine stuff, like, messed me up, like, as far no, as timing. they're not available till the 22nd. Uh, oh, yeah, so 
a day yeah. or two after this episode airs. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> can, I, can we just get a consistent like? I wish they would do Secret Lair like it is available day one of this month. You can get it all the way till end of that calendar month. It'd be so right. much easier instead of this whole in the middle of the month and when and maybe or whatever. But um, we have Soul Ring and Path of Ancestry, and oh lord, yeah, like, the, the Soul are, Ring is pretty good. They're awesome. Yeah, I was was pretty happy to see uh, the Soul Ring. Oh, yep. That was pretty cool. And, and so, as, as much I don't as, even play Commander all that often, and I'm still still happy for it. So. Oh, right, like I I actually can't wait till everything kind of get back to normal so I can try playing Commander again. It's just. I have personally had some problems with local playgroups, and and that could be me just trying to get my feet wet and understand what's going on. Like, I, I show up with a deck that has an optimized mana base, and I'm the target, and I'm like, uh, I, my mana base is optimized, not everything else. I just want to make sure I play my spells on time. Right. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to, like, combo out on turn three and a half or whatever. Right. Um, you know, and then I run into... Uh, groups where I'm the only one with Fetchlands and I feel like a dirtbag. Uh, so it's like uh, just trying to find that consistency uh, right. is difficult in that format. But um, it's a shame that we can't talk more about this and Black Girls Code now that we have all seven cards revealed. But uh, Wizards banned 1,487,693 cards on <laughs> February. Yeah. Uh, oh wait, no. I just got a notification. They banned another one. Oh, so, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot to talk about there. Plus, we haven't talked Wandavision, so we got to cover episode six and seven because, who lord, there's yeah. a lot of stuff yeah. that's going on. All right. So but let's. How how are you? Before we even get to this, how uh, are you? Pretty good. Pretty okay. good. Uh, I've been playing a lot of Legacy this week. Uh, so um, I actually uh, I streamed. Uh, Thursday night uh, with uh, Coron Chambers, uh, Paragon249 on Twitter. Uh, we streamed uh, Five Color Warriors and Legacy. Oh, yeah. Uh, we went 2-3 uh, on stream. Uh, videos up on YouTube. So if you go to YouTube, War XP, you can find it there. It was actually, uh, despite going 2-3, uh, it was actually a pretty fun uh, league. Mm-hmm. Uh, we... The major, the major things we lost to, we lost to, we lost to Grixis Delver, uh, and it was just a combination of things. Um, Wait, Grixis Delver is back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grixis Delver's back. Wow. Uh, we had a combination of things that just lined up really well for them mm-hmm. uh, in games two and three, that just didn't really work out so well for us. Uh, we lost to Turbo Depths because Turbo Depths. Yeah, yeah. Like that's just when your plan. When your plan is play a bunch of like derpy, you know, small creatures that individually don't do anything super powerful outside of Najila. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even then, she doesn't really do anything super great if you don't have other creatures to swing with. <laughs> so uh, when your game plan is that, your opponent's game plan is put a twenty twenty that flies <laughs> into play. It's yeah. Yeah, that doesn't help. <laughs> yeah, that, that's gotta so, be a little rough. Pack yeah. some uh, path exiles. Uh, we were playing cards like um, Sting Scourger oh, and okay. stuff like that. Yeah, to like bounce some. Interesting. Uh, so it, we had a game plan. It's just that it just never 
co- coalesced in game two to where we could even get a game three. So, uh, but we played against uh, some really, we played against a weird, like, Grove of the Burnwell's Punishing Fire Cloud Post list, which was <laughs> odd. Yeah, that was weird. Uh, we ended up losing to that one just because they, in games two and three, they just shifted away from, like, the Cloud Post plan and just literally just went ham on destroying our creatures with like with um punishing fire and it just it didn't didn't work out for us uh we played against uh what i can only imagine is like kind of like a variation of like the vintage white hate bears list which is like the spirit of the labyrinth or or um not spirit of the labyrinth archon of amiria like mono white deck or whatnot that's just kind of wanting to jam in hate bear effects uh and we beat that pretty handily so that was when when their game plan is is play play creatures that make non-creature stuff worse and your game plan is play creatures yeah turns out yeah yeah like and not only that um umazawa's jite uh just like absolutely wrecks those kinds of matchups so man um, we got like, the G- we got the GTA in game one and GTA with a uh, on a changeling outcast, uh, which can't be blocked, so you're always gonna get triggers. That's uh, hot. Yeah, so that was kind of fun. Uh, and then we beat a um, stacks deck. It was basically just basically just uh, just colorless stacks, and that seems weird because you think like a creature deck would be able to beat a deck like that. Wait, someone but, was playing mud in Legacy. It wasn't like mud. It okay. wasn't like it wasn't like classic mud. There was like no metal workers or anything like it. All it was, right, I, I, it, I was having flashbacks to like five years ago or something. <laughs> it, it was stacks. It was like Rishadon Port and Inventor's Fair and Snaring Bridge, wow, and Tangle Wire and those kinds of cards. Oh my goodness! And um, I managed. We managed to win a game through double Thought Not Seer. <laughs> Uh, because of Winota join our forces. Because why not, right? Yeah, well, because Winota put in to play a whole bunch of uh, a couple creatures, and put the, we put them to one life, and all they had was double thought knots here, and they couldn't crack back, swing back. Yep. Yeah, and then was it the the high the big highlight for me of the whole league? Honestly, was um, there was a turn where. Uh, we were pretty much I was we were pretty much dead on board to um a what was they they had a, a stone coil serpent and another creature. It was this was the mono white deck. They had a stone coil serpent and they had another creature and then we were at like three or four life. Like we were we were dead on board practically. But we had Najila and another creature or whatnot, another warrior that could swing. Oh oh no, it was Najila and um mirror entity <laughs> wow. and they had they could flash in they flashed in a a containment priest or whatnot before declare blockers and uh so what we did is we, we attacked we triggered twice off of najila mm-hmm. put in two warriors that were attacking they flashed in containment priest and we put seven mana into mirror entity <laughs> <laughs> and made them all seven sevens. <laughs> nice. They could block one, 
and they died. Yeah, it was it was it was great. So deck was a lot of fun. Uh, I think it needs it need. I we talked about it a little bit on stream. Uh, what the deck really needs is like a disruptive warrior, uh, something like a Thalia effect or something like that. That is a is the relevant tribe. Uh, but like all the changeling stuff that they also gave the deck recently, uh, just with like changeling things from uh, Kaldheim. Uh, we were trying a couple Kaldheim cards. Sigrid God favored was really cool. Uh, we got to play around with that card a little bit, uh, and that was actually like really super neat, especially to like snag something like, say you snag like a Delver with uh, Sigrid. Mm-hmm. Then if they get back their Delver, if they manage to kill Sigrid and get back their Delver, it comes back unflipped because oh. it, because it gets exiled, hmm. or like oh um you know my opponent has a Stone Cold Serpent, snag their Stone Cold Serpent. Oh yeah, nice zero zero. Right, if they get it back, they yeah, then they just they get it back a zero zero. So nice. Yeah, so Sigrid was cool, and that card has Flash, so and that's kind of neat. Oh, and yeah. and First Strike. It has flash and first strike. And oh, I, like, I missed first strike on that. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, this card is cool. So, yeah, that was fun to play around with. Um, he was also he also put in um, that boast one of the boast warriors from um, Kaldheim, Usher of the Fallen, the one that makes a, a warrior when you boast it. So it's like one in a white make a make a warrior or whatnot. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. Oh, yeah, it's a one-drop. Yeah, okay. Mm. Seemed like a neat card, so... Interesting. But, uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun. It was it was a fun fun, uh, fun deck to play. Uh, been playing a lot of the Karn Echo deck still this week in Legacy. You, you found uh, your deck. Yeah, I think so, and that's kind of scary because it's just so much fun to play. Yeah. Like, it's just really, really fun to play. Uh, I've just had so many really interesting games with it or so many games where I'm just like, I don't care what you do. Here's a whole breacher. Do you have a counter spell? No. Here's an echo. Do you have a counter spell? No. Cool. We're done. Right. Like, there's just no winning. Um, I did have a game today. It was interesting. And I, I, I feel like I made the wrong decision. Um, because I just kept like, cause I had an ensnaring bridge in play and it was just kind of like, just kind of ticking up Karn. But my uh, opponent had a, a Collector Oof in play, and I I very much teetered on using Karn to go fetch uh, Lattice and put Lattice into play. Mm, okay. So that, because so that, I had creatures in play. I had, I had two Hull Breachers in play. So they would have to, uh, you know, swing through um, to kill Karn, you know, you know pretty quickly. Or else they just lose two because I, they had less cards. It was elves. It was against elves, hmm. and they would have lost to just not having a having. They didn't have uh, enough cards in their in their library. They had less cards in their library than I did. Okay. So I was teetering on that. I was just like, man, do I just go do that? Do I just go like get lattice, put lattice into play? Is that a thing that we do? Uh, and then the turn I thought about doing that, I didn't. I just ticked Karn up. And then immediately that turn, I got punished for that aspect because they had an abrupt decay for the Ensnaring Bridge. Oh, no. And we're like, abrupt decay, 
tap cradle for six, get, you know, um, GSE for Crater of Behemoth, you know, Oof. you know, and I was just like, okay, yeah, like, I get it, like, maybe I should have made the decision to just put it into play, uh, because one of those creatures was tapped, it was a, there was a Nettle Sentinel in play, and it had, and it was tapped. Oh, yeah, so, so if they didn't cast a spell, that's damage that wouldn't have come through, because it would have stayed tapped. Right, yeah, so they could have swung with some 1-1s one at Karn, but I think Karn would have had enough loyalty where I'd have been able to block with the Hull Breachers. Right. And ha- him still survive. Uh, so, I don't know. I'm I'm not sure what the correct... Uh, what the correct line was, was but I, I feel like I should have done the unintuitive thing and cast the Lattice. So, but it was... Yeah. It was fun. It was a, it was a neat, neat game, at least, but... Uh, so yeah, other than that, just Ooh. busy. Uh, it was my birthday this week. Yeah, ha- so, happy birthday. Yep, yep. So, got a, got a nice cake from my wife, and... Heck yeah. Um, wife bought me some, my, she got me new monitors for my PC setup, and... Now we're talking. Yep, yeah, it's, I'm pretty happy, actually. So, uh, they're, they're pretty nice, so... Yep. Two monitors is where you want to be. Yeah, four monitors is where you want to be if you want to be a super villain. Yeah, that's true. So I could put up to four monitors on this video card. So I, I already have four, I have four monitors. It's just on two different PCs, two on my <laughs> work setup, and two for personal use. So yeah, I, I kind of get to do the 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 chair turn, turn to do work stuff, turn to do personal stuff. So right, yeah, cool man. That but, that sounds like some awesome legacy stuff. Like, um. Before we go on, uh, I act, YouTube algorithms have just been trash mm. lately. Like I pull up YouTube and it's like, here's a, a good games live from six years ago or whatever, right? Just random right. stuff. So I kind of stumbled down that YouTube hole and was actually watching a lot of modern and legacy content pre-War of the Spark. Uh-huh. And woo, what a hoot! Like all all the decks and now, granted, modern faithless looting was still legal, but this is before we had Hogak Summer and all that stuff. But, man, it just, it was kind of fun. Yeah. Like, just listening to coverage and watching people play, and especially watching the legacy content. Yeah. Oh, so maybe maybe we're going to get back there with this uh, ban and restricted announcement that happened on President's Day. Uh, who knows? Uh, let, let's go and take a look at it. Right. All right, so we did have a bunch of bannings. Uh, and I mean a bunch of bannings. This is probably, I w- I don't think this is like the largest banning of all time, but it's definitely like the largest multi-format banning, I would say. Yeah, cause... I think total number of cards. Yeah. Because like, in the before times, like the, the true before times, back when uh, the old format rocks were soft, uh we really had only standard to worry about. Right, right. And sure, there was legacy, but like, you know, when there was a banning that was happening, it was more often not impacting standard and standard heavily. Like back when they had to nerf uh, a bunch of stuff during Urza Saga block, and again during Mirrodin block. Right. So, but yeah, th- this one's pretty heavy. It, it's it's sh- it's shaking magic a lot. Yep. So we got changes in Historic, Pioneer, Legacy, Modern, and Vintage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also one 
big change. I actually want to talk about the the one change, the rules change first. Sure. Uh, because I think that makes more sense to talk about first. So, uh, it, it does, and there, we need to make sure people clear, are, are clear on what this is, and it's pretty much what we expected. Yeah, so they made a change to the Cascade rules uh, for dealing with uh, modal DFC cards, and basically all they really did is they kind of did what I thought they were going to do. They basically made, added a double check to, to Cascade, so it lets you cast the spell only if the converted mana cost is less than the spell's converted mana cost. Which, by the way, with Strixhaven, which we'll talk about next episode, because uh, we don't have time for this one, uh, even though there's leaks and or official previews and cards or whatever, uh, converted mana cost is being changed to mana value, I believe is the new phrasing. So uh, just kind of keep that in mind. But anyway... Yeah. So yeah. bas- basically, all this really means is that it makes Cascade work the way you think it should. Yeah, it just means that you can't cast, um, you know, Shardless Agent and um, hit Valky Got Elias and cast Tibble. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this so is dumb. the biggest thing about that whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so yeah, this basically, uh, and it also changes the way Cascade works with anything. So, mm-hmm. like, you can't... Uh, the, the example they gave is like if you cast Bloodbraid Elf and you hit Fae of Wishes, yeah. you could cast Fae of Wishes, but you couldn't cast Granted. Right, where before yeah. you could. Right, before you could, yeah. And I think that's fine. I, it, makes the, it makes the mechanic work the way that somebody who's new to the game, when you're explaining the mechanic to somebody, makes it work the way they think it should. Yeah. So, and that's, that's perfectly fine. Now, so. fortunately, uh, Swift is it Swift End that's on Murderous Rider? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Swift End and Stomp are lower mana costs, but also uh, Murderous Rider and Bonecrusher Giant are also low enough mana cost. So if you cascade into Bloodbraid, or cascade into one of those with Bloodbraid Elf, you can still choose either side because they're still uh, legal in regards to what you can cast. Um so, yeah, now as far as the Valky got allies to Bolts or to Bolt Cosmic Imposter, they're keeping an eye on the uh, Bring Delight uh, issue with that, where with Bring Delight, you can still cast to Bolt Cosmic Imposter off of it. Yeah, but I but don't think that's a huge deal. No, you're, yeah. you're, you're getting into Nephilim mana there. No, you're, you're, not. you're getting into you are paying five mana to get a two mana discount. Right, and that, that's yeah. not really a big deal, even right. if you ramp into uh, Bring Delight or whatever. So right. if you're doing that in Pioneer or whatever, go ham, right? Right, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. Uh, so let's talk about, uh, I'm going to briefly touch on Historic. Uh, so there were a couple cards, that were, there were two cards that were banned in Historic. Uh, Omnath Locus of Creation was banned from Suspended. Uro, we knew Uro was going, so Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath is also banned. None of these really you know that's we all knew that this was that at least uro was going omnath being confirmed as banned just makes sense because it was suspended and suspended means that they have to at least say something about it when they do a banning right so whatever doesn't matter yeah this Uh, is more of a a dominance type of situation where if you go to play if, if you're playing against someone and their first card they play is like reading pool tapped you're immediately groaning. You're like, oh, here's an Uro deck, right? Like, just the, the impact that it has, both psychologically, 
and as far as like what decks can combat it well was just too much. So right. it had to go. Uh, so Pioneer, uh, they banned still a whole dead. bunch of stuff. Of Pioneer still, yeah. I, I mean, does this make the format alive? I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. I I, I watched... think the I think the format needs paper support to be alive. Uh, paper and or arena support, yes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Arena support would be good, yes. Like, I watched Seth play an Elves deck, and I was like, ooh, this is cool. And then he played against, like, a white-black Ors deck that had Loris, and I'm like, oh, yeah. Come-. Yeah. Uh, so they, they banned a couple cards, more than a couple cards. We knew that Uro was going. Yeah. First of all, we already knew he was going. Uh, they banned Balustrade Spy, uh, Teferi Time Raveler, Un- Undercity Informer, and Wilderness Reclamation as well. Um, so Balustrade Supply and Undercity Informer are the cornerstone of the Oops All Spells deck. And I, I apparently that was pretty good in Pioneer. Uh, and, yeah, a bit. and so they, they ban those. And those banning those completely murders the deck. Like, it doesn't exist. Who um, knew that Gate Crash would have two cards that were banned or restricted? Right, right. Gate uh, Crash. They banned. They also said they were taking the opportunity to ban Teferi Time Raveler and Wilderness Reclamation, uh, simply because uh, they were banning Teferi mainly for lowering the power of the Niv uh, Niv Delight decks. Uh, and then without Teferi Time Raveler to hold it in check, they were also expecting that Wilderness Reclamation would go up in metagame share afterwards. So it was just kind of right. like a preemptive ban. I, now here's here's the thing that really caught my eye about this. Uh, this ban statement, this banning statement of this for this format, honestly, uh, and it is the very first sentence of the banning statement for Pioneer, and it says, "Our vision for Pioneer is to be a collection of the most fun, powerful, and iconic cards and strategies from recent standard formats." Huh. Now mm. I was huh. listening to another podcast, and mm. they made the point of this is the closest we've ever come to hearing a mission statement for a format from them about a format. Right, modern even didn't even get that treatment. The closest right. modern ever got was we want you to take your standard cards and play them in modern. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we realized we shouldn't reprint thought season to standard, which is crap. They should, but that's right. a whole other story. Right. So yeah, that's interesting that they made that uh, particular statement about the format. So uh, I don't know. Again, I, I feel like we're not going to stay too much on Pioneer because Pioneer. Right. But, it, it does seem, though, that that statement kind of contradicts why they banned Teferi, because Teferi is a fun, powerful, and iconic card. Yeah. I don't know about Teferi. I don't really play the format, so yeah. I don't know. I don't know how good the card was. Well, uh, the, the reasoning behind it is because of the power level of the Niv Delight decks. See, a lot of people that dig on Teferi also dig on control decks and it's like no that that's not where teferi's messing things up no. Teferi messes things up in decks that are not control decks they use teferi to make sure you can't interact with their crap right so uh the the niv the, the niv delight decks the five color decks uh just were doing everything like right uh, if you've not seen a niv a uh, Niv Mizzet Reborn or whatever that, that card is, that Niv Delight deck. If you've not seen it play, go watch videos of it. Yeah, I'm it's sure pretty... they're out there on YouTube. It is dumb. It's pretty gross. Uh, so uh, do you want to talk about Modern or do you want to talk about Legacy? Well, yeah, let's let's go and talk about Modern. We're, okay. we're already going in order. Okay, I, okay. I, 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 I suggested the, sh- the show notes a different way, but, you know, whatever. Let yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so Modern uh, had five cards banned. 
I, uh, I am I am posing like Elmo with the fires <laughs> of hell behind them right now. <laughs> so we all knew Uro was going again. Yeah, yeah, like that, yeah, we all knew that was happening because that was the whole point of this. Uh, but they also banned Field of the Dead, Mystic Sanctuary, Simeon Spirit Guide, and Tybalt's Trickery. Uh, a card that did not get banned in Historic, uh, and I just want to mention briefly, they didn't ban that card because that card's that deck is bad. <laughs> yeah. That deck is bad. It has such a huge failure rate in Historic that it's just, it's, it's just a meme. It's fun to do for a couple times, but then you're like, eh. Like, the, the Treasure Hunt decks uh, probably do better than the Tybalt Trickery. Could ones. be, yeah. Could be, yeah. Uh, so, the biggest thing was is, is to talk about was, uh, as in Pioneer, Uro had become a dominant fixture across many of the top modern decks, and they just couldn't, they couldn't, there was just no space for the other things to deal with with Uro. You know, there's, you know, there's just, the card just does so much that this decks could not, you know, keep up with it. Like there, there were tools that could be dealt with. Like Jun was main decking now, Spellbomb, uh, even Cling to Dust was Cling a card that you wind yeah. up seeing. Uh, scavenging Ooze was, was trying to fit into a lot of decks, but just like we should have learned with the Hogak Summer, when you main deck Graveyard Hate, there's a giant problem. Yeah. Oh yeah. And Uro is one of those cards where it doesn't matter if you deal with it once it's in the graveyard. It, it already drew a card and gained in three life and put a land into play. Right, but see, so. like, that that to me, and I'll, I'll touch on that later uh, in, in this bit about the ban-restricted stuff. To me, that just tells me that you're just quitting. Like, I get it that they drew a card and they gained life. But if you have if you have spot for graveyard hate, main deck, for a reason, use it. Okay, sure, they cast an Uro. Cool. Surgical extract it. Or... Cling to dust it or get rid of it in some way. Okay, they got their card in their life. What if that card was a land or a dud or something they can't cast yet? Or you have discard effects to see, oh, they drew a neat card. I'm going to go take that too. You know, the, the fact that, oh, they gained their value. I'm not going to, I can't, I can't do anything. Uh, okay. I, I don't think, that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying. I, I know, that... it's just that that seems to be the attitude, the rhetoric from, Twitterverse. Yeah, the, when no, the, do we the have problem. These discussions? The, the problem with the card is is that the fact that in order to like keep up with that kind of tempo, you know, and not only right. that, to have to have something to deal with it. Like, yeah, again, that's the key. Again, we have to have I mean to graveyard. Hey, that's the something's wrong. Like, yep. so, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's a card that has obviously been pretty dominant since it came out. Mm-hmm. It's it's good that it's gone. Uh, it should have been gone probably a long time ago, but that's oh, neither oh, here yeah. nor there. Well, I mean, they did state in this ban and restricted announcement that the reason that they have taken so long is because there have been fewer high-level tabletop tournaments. Well, if you were realizing six months into the pandemic that we weren't going to have high-level tabletop tournaments, you maybe should have put more focus on digital, maybe upped the number of high-level digital tournaments to that way have as much data as you would if you had digital and tabletop at the same time, like there there were knobs and levers that wizards could have used to, to take care of this. Speaking of which, I kind of want to backtrack a second. I forgot something about the whole uh, uh, Valky Tybalt change in regards to the Cascade. There are people out there like, well, why didn't wizards see this? They did. Matt Tabak told us that, yes, that's how yeah. it works as yeah. far as cascading into it. So, you can't tell me that, 
Uh, they don't have enough people to test for formats and da -da -da, all this stuff. No, if they saw it and said, yep, that's how it works, and let it go, that's on them. That was done purposely. So, like, you know, sure, like, maybe it increased the amount of packs that were open for people hunting down Valky the... Oh, look, I opened it in a $4 pack. I didn't pay 20 bucks or whatever to buy the card when right. they bought a $100 worth of a booster box just right. to say they ripped it from a uh, booster pack. No, it's like, and that's, that's the thing that drives me nuts about that rhetoric. It's like, they're just trying to drive sales. Magic uh, Wizards could just take a brown cardboard box, and I've said this before in this podcast, put it out in the rain, put it out in the, the eight feet of snow or whatever that we've gotten here in the Midwest, and this brown paper box, and write in black magic marker, M-A-G-K-I-C, like completely misspell the word magic, it would still sell. Like, you don't need to push things this hard. Uh, but anyway, back to back to good stuff about modern. Yeah, so <laughs> so beyond that, uh, they chose to ban Field of the Dead and Mystic Sanctuary, and they talk about those as that those are cards that are frequently used by ramp and control strategies, and they kind of decrease diversity of gameplay patterns. Uh, and uh, both games create both lands create repetitive and non-interactive game states in the late game for relatively low deck building cost. And I think that's the important thing. It, it is. is, but as a control player, I don't want you interacting with me. I'm interacting with you. You are having a good time at my expense. I've invited you to the table. Sure, but yeah, I I just I I'm kidding. Yeah, <laughs> Mystic Sanctuary is is a is a dumb busted card that should have never been uh, a fetchable card. Yeah, those lanes were weird. Like I'm seeing, um, was it Witch's Cottage? Yeah, show up in some the whole, the, the, the rest of that cycle is just absolutely terrible. Yeah, like they're just absolutely garbage. But Mystic Sanctuary is just so incredibly powerful. They that... they tr they keep trying to reinvent the wheel when it comes down to a land type land cycle that people can fetch. When it's like, just give us what we want, like. <laughs> You know. So and, and Field of the Dead, I completely understand. Oh, thank yeah, goodness that's yeah, gone. Yeah, like the, I mean, again, I it is like one of my favorite cards, and I love the card playing it a lot. But I can un totally understand that there's very little, like what they said, there's very little deck building cost to playing either of these card, either of these cards. Right. Field, Field of the Dead, you just have to play lands. Right. That's the thing. Something else to keep in mind: the more sets that come out the easier it is for someone to build a deck with four Field of the Dead and one each of whatever other lands. That way they can trigger their Field of the Dead quickly and, and more often. Right. So, yeah, so that's... Uh, I'm okay with both of those. Uh, yeah. Sim Simeon Spirit Guide. Uh, Wee. <laughs> Thank uh, God. Mana Monkey's gone. <laughs> yeah, yes and no. Uh, and I, I was going to want to save this, but this is a good spot to talk about because we're talking about the card. Uh, uh, I have to admit something. Uh, I have been on the Band Simian Spirit Guide train, or used to be, for many years in regards to modern. I looked at it as, this is just Elvish Spirit Guide. Why is a legacy power card in modern? That's, that's not what they need, right? But because other stuff, Uro, uh, was coming out... Uh, or, or, or they found ways to play with cards that were already existent in Death Shadow. Um, you know, Simeon Spirit Guide got less and less of an issue. It'd show up here or there. It, it'd be like Dredge and Legacy back circa 2012. It would show up, spike a tournament, wave to everybody, and then leave. 
Right. Um, well, I think now now that we have car these decks like Oops, yeah, and Belcher that are a lot better now, uh, and also ad nauseum. Uh, well, literally everything that sit. Let's put it this way: Simeon Spirit Guide is not a fair Magic card. No, it, it is, is not. It has never been played in a fair deck ever. Correct. Uh, literally well, ever. Maybe like prison decks. To yeah, get, but that. Yeah, but that's not Blood Moon that's, early. But... That's fair, but not fair. Right. Because it's still cheating on mana. Right. So it. Yeah. I mean, you're just not playing this card for any reason other than to use it as a free fast mana source, and I think it's fine that it's gone. It's the Mox Opal problem. Yep. 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 Uh, as much as I hate to open up that wound because I had uh, foil affinity. Um, and that, that, that wound hurt. I, I got hit pretty hard financially on Mox Opal Band. But, um, with what you talked about, like with Oops and Charbelcher, decks that are, were staples, or actually are staples of Legacy, were starting to appear in Modern, and in the case of Oops, even Pioneer, uh, because enough cards were built to where the deck was constructed, where it was almost the same across the board. Those players of Oops and Charbelcher can take their decks to Legacy and not miss a beat. They might have to pick up a few other cards here or there, but whatever. Just like with Mox Opal, and even with Birthing Pod to an extent, uh, another one I was hit by, um, now those with Ad Nauseam are left without a deck. and I have heard that Ad Nauseam still not bad, though. It, it's not. like it. It needs time to... Just like the doctor, uh, needs time to regenerate. Yeah. So, uh, so I've seen a couple posts of like uh, mana monkeyless, you know, uh, ad nauseum, and apparently it's still just a fine deck. It's just you know, maybe like a turn slower, right? Which is fine. But they're so. slowing down some of these decks, like your oops, your charbelchers, ad nauseum, and taking away the uber value mid-range decks uh that were uh simic based like uro decks the format will slow down enough to where you can still reasonably play ad nauseum once you get a shell and, and work things right out. right um, and, and so, there and and not only that in that same regard you're slowed down enough that you know that single turn slowdown is enough for say a control deck or something you know that has interaction to actually be able to interact with you uh, and I think that that's fine. Yeah, and, I, and that's actually something that they, they talked about, uh, especially in the Uro uh, section. They they want to, quote, to open up space in the metagame for a greater variety of mid-range strategies and other slower decks to coexist. And that's why they chose to ban Uro. And I feel that's kind of the same thing across the board. And honestly, I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to do what... Um, what Cyborg and Superman did with the mother boxes and get them separated. Think of them as, as different formats, Pioneer, Modern, Legacy. They, they want those to feel like when you go to play a deck from that format, you're not going to play a copy of a Legacy deck or a right. copy of a Modern deck. They want them to have their own uh, distinct format identity. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I, I think we're, we're getting back to where we were with that this is kind of like a course reversal with a lot of these changes i just feel bad for those who 
uh, had their deck kind of taken out from them, please don't just completely trash your deck or sell your cards. Figure it out. You know, you're smart enough that you're like, hey, this is this is my ride or die. I've been on ad nauseum for years. Right. Uh, you show up with it when you play modern. Uh, get get with your crew. Figure it out. I believe in you. I I want to see ad nauseum decks. Like, what, what was that? What was it? I can't remember what event it was. It may have been when Phoenix, uh, is it Phoenix was still a deck. But I played against Ad Nauseum. And from the board, I was playing a control deck, of course. Uh, but from the board, someone had played uh, the seven drop, uh, your spells can't be countered flying creature. It was like a 5-5. Five, five. I can't remember the name of it. Sphinx of the, of the final word. or Sphinx Yeah, of, that, yeah. That, that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, it's like five and two blue or something, right? It's like a six mana spell. Something. Sure. It's it, like it, four, it's like four and two blue. Something. It, it's like yeah. a ridiculously costed spell yeah. that they needed like two lotus blooms to cast or yeah, whatever. And, and, right? it, and it can't be countered either. Right. It, yeah, it cannot be countered. So uh, that with Teferi, uh, Time Raveler, you know, they were trying to use that post-board against control decks. So I'm like, this is neat. They're, they're pivoting. They're still trying to combo. But they have this alt win condition if it shows up, if they draw into it. So, like, that that's that's the type of uh, game I want to play. When I go to play Modern, I want round one to be Goblins. Round two to be the Jun Mirror or whatever. Round three to be some. I want there to be a bunch of variety, not just, you know, playing Uros all day. Like, I'm kind of, you know, as much as the last year plus has sucked... Um, I'm kind of glad we've not played paper because I don't know where I would be like blood pressure wise if I had to face four rounds of Uro at local FNMs. Like I would lose my mind. So I believe in you, ad nauseum players. I do. Um, to both trickery though, man. Yep. Ten days. Thanks Ten God. Days. Thank God though. The Ten deck days. was just garbage. Like, <laughs> Ten days. Joe. Ten days. Ten. It, I think it becomes the fastest ban. Quite literally ever. Yeah, faster than uh, Memory Jar. Yeah, well, okay, let's put it this way. Yeah, because Memory Jar at least had a little bit of time. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's, like, we're obviously not counting, uh, like, anything that was banned prior. To, like, we're not, like, we can't count Lutri because it doesn't make any sense to count Lutri. Right. Like, <laughs> like literally that... from release to set to ban was 10 days, and that's just, that's Lutri insane. was the weirdest preview ever. It's like... Here's a card in the upcoming set. It's already banned in Commander. <laughs> like, what in the world? So one thing one thing they did say about the Tibble's Trickery deck is that uh, while the overall win rate of the deck hasn't shown to be problematic, we believe it contributes to non-games that make modern less fun to play. Hmm. And I agree with that. Like, it does, for sure. They could use that same verbiage to Uro. Yeah, they could have. But I think non-games at this point means that these are just literally games that you just don't get to play. Right, I play yeah. Celestial Colonnade, go. All right, I vomit, and you lose. Right, so, and not only that, they're also concerned that, you know, with the other banning of other stuff, that, you know, Tibble's trickery could be continue to be problematic, and I, I think I mean, that's fine. when those Tibble's trickery decks were packing, what, 12 Aldrazi Titans, if yeah. not more, yeah. uh, throughout the 75... Yeah, that's that's a a lit a little absurd. Um, oh, I also forgot. Uh, wasn't Simeon Spear Guide used in Living End decks? 
Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, those decks probably can still function, too. Yeah. So, yeah. I, so, I don't know. Again, a turn slower. Uh, true, true. Right. I, and I, I, absolutely true. And I think that's fine. I think that's a good place to be. Yeah, especially if they're going to do more cycling uh, on creatures. Right. Which is big for living in, so, yeah. All right, it, so... It's, it's going to take a while for the meta to take shape. Like, even the data is, uh, from Magic Alliance, kind of rolling in slow onto MTG uh, MTG Goldfish. So, I give it probably about a month, maybe, at this point. Maybe two months, really. But I, I can really see us going back to where we have Burn and Jund and uh, Azuri's Control. Or Stoneblade. Tron. Tron. Dredge. <laughs> um, it's the time you know, of Tron. <laughs> right, and, and here's here's the thing. I, I I've mentioned this numerous times, right? Like, I'm not changing my decks just because a new shiny card comes out, right? Now, don't get me wrong. I did buy some of the Valky's Trickery Tibble. <laughs> uh, it, it's a cool card. Um, and I looked at them like, well, if they do something with this, sweet. I got them in Commander. You know, that's just kind of how I look at it. Um, but of the decks that I have. That were impacted by this change. The only thing I had to do was take out two Mystic Sanctuaries and put in two Glacial Fortress. And that's it. And I've kept my decks pretty much the same since we stopped playing Paper Magic. So I want this to be a lesson to everybody. Just because there's a new shiny thing in a standard er, premier set. Doesn't mean you have to uh, do an upheaval of your entire mana base to force the card just because... Look, this is cool. No, just play the deck you have. If later on you feel like, yes, maybe I should be playing that, or you see the power of it, you want to try it, whatever, cool. Do your own thing. Don't just like blindly follow the masses and not think for yourself. So I, I knew Earl was going to get banned. In my heart of hearts, I knew this was going to happen. I just had to be patient. I didn't think it'd take a year, but here we are. And now, because of this, I'm now looking out in the landscape and I'm hearing all these people like, what do we do now? And I'm like, go back to where you were before the card was printed and start from there. Like, it's like the data is there. It's not like you have to hunt it down or ask Jeeves or whatever, right? Like, just type in, go to, go to MTG Top 8. Put in your data as far as the dates. Make sure the where you want the stop is before the printing of Uro. Take a look at your archetype. And there you go. Go ham. Like, sure, there have been some other cards that have come out. Uh, or whatever. Like, what's come out in Jund? Um, Cleansing Wildfire? Okay, well, uh, whatever, right? Like, there have been some cards here or there. But nothing that causes an entire deck to change its identity. And that's how it should be with these new cards that come out. It's like, uh, here's a little thing for Death and Taxes players. Or here, here's a thing for whatever. Like, I, I want it to be to where when we get back to playing Magic, that if someone wants to roll into FNM with Is It Forge Master and just yeet out a Blightsteel Colossus at me, go it. Go, go at it. Go ham. Even my dog agrees. You can probably hear her in the background. She's, she's probably an Is It fan. Um... <laughs> But yeah, I, I am so happy for these changes, with the exception of maybe Simeon Spirit Guy, because the people impacted by this, I feel your pain. I, I still want to see you at FNM or wherever 
with your namesake deck, don't quit. I just don't quit. I'll, I'll get to more about magic lingo and stuff later too. Once we get talking about legacy, let's talk about some exciting legacy. Cause man, these changes, dude. Yeah. So legacy, uh, I, one of the, one of the things I wanted to touch on with legacy is important. Uh, and it's the very first statement in this band announcement for legacy. And, uh, basically it kind of jives with, uh, you know, I've been doing, you know, we've been doing this data collection, project and all that stuff and it actually kind of jives with the understanding of the data we've collected and the big statement that they made is that while balance hasn't looked problematic uh in legacy we've heard community feedback that a few cards have come to draw too much of the focus for deck building and gameplay and uh that's pretty accurate like we looked at the months you know from 12 6 to the day before this ban took place and you know, Rugged Over, sure, it had a huge metagame share, but its win percentage was only 52 to 53%. Right, that's that's pretty fair. Yeah, that's a pretty fair, you know, percentage. So I was, we were kind of like, okay, well, yeah. But so this is a lot of, I think a lot of this is more or less of a data-driven decision. I think the decision, the data that they used on this decision is quite possibly things like league attendance, things like challenge attendance stuff like that, things where they've seen feedback combined with people not playing the format. Uh, and I think that's important. There were a lot of people that I know personally that are were big Legacy players that just stopped playing Legacy. And uh, now, after these bannings, they're back. Because cool. they were sick of these cards. I'm, I'm glad they didn't stop completely to right. where they could not come back. Because right. we've seen that locally where there have been uh, players who have told us when the question's been asked, uh, that they've completely sold out of paper. Um, and I have a feeling that, you know, I, I'm sure there are people out there who, when this happened, instead of them waiting for a ban or constantly waiting for bans to change a format, that they're just like, hmm, well, these dual lands are worth a lot of money. Yeet. Right. And just leave the format and right. never come back. Right. So a lot of these people played primarily on Magic Online anyways. Mm-hmm. So where decks are pretty pretty relatively cheap, or they have rental services, so right. they just pause their rental service, you know, and just stop playing the form. Either either that or pause their rental service, stop playing Legacy, or just play another format. Like I know a couple other people, couple of the people, uh, my friends that typically were high, you know, pretty potent Legacy players. Uh, people like Eli Goings, who plays a lot of Goblins, uh, Goblin Lackey One. He started playing Vintage. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, you know, because, you know, Legacy was just not fun. So he started playing Goblins Advantage and had fun with that. Awesome. So, so, uh, so the three, so they banned three cards in Legacy, uh, and they were basically managed to hit the trifecta of all the cards that we were like, oh, okay, cool. They hit everything I wanted them to ban, basically, that I was just like, okay with them banning. Even our namesake. Uh, yep, yep. So they banned they banned Oko Thieva Crowns, and we knew this was happening. Like any band that in Legacy had to start with Oko Thieva Crowns. There's just no denying that. Uh, they also banned Arkham's Astrolabe. Yeah. Hooray! <laughs> uh, leaving Vintage and Commander the only format you could play Arkham's Astrolabe in. And not only did they ban it, but our podcast didn't like get Thanos snapped. No, because uh, a little inside baseball here the name of the podcast came about kind of as a joke against Arkham's Astrolabe and our mm. mission to get it banned. Yep. <laughs> literally in every format. And from the time we started the podcast, 
Wizards even went ahead and put it on, quote, the list that started showing in Zendikar Rising. So technically it, it's showing in standard packs, even though it's not legal to play in standard or play in draft or whatever. So, you know, we kind of went a little bit more hard in the paint with some of the rhetoric that we've, <laughs> mostly me being on my soapbox. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's gone. Yeah. It's gone. Yeah. Hallelujah. Uh, and then finally they banned uh, Dreadhorde Arcanist. Uh, and uh, they also mentioned they discussed banning. So, okay, let's let's go back a little bit. So, Oko. So, the biggest thing about Oko is that they, they talked about is they were waiting to see whether or not uh, Oko would fall in line with the average power of the rest of the metagame. Over time, however, they've seen Oko continue to remain a major metagame presence and contribute to lower diversity. Uh, and they feel with its huge card pool, and this is another mission statement, kind of. Legacy is a format that should offer a tremendous variety of deck-building options and reward innovative deck construction and tuning. Because of its power and flexibility, Oko can provide an easy answer to even unto unanticipated threats and defenses and generally homogenizes gameplay patterns in a way that's counter to the spirit of the format. So Can, can we actually talk about that and the first sentence under the Legacy section for a minute? Sure. Uh, my, my first thought here with the first sentence and, and the... Uh, the the legacy section. Remember when you talked about uh, people wanting to have a community manage to ban and restricted list for legacy? Right. Do you think that sentence kind of gives them a voice a little bit in a way? That as thinking, uh, it's not wizard supporting them, but do you think they will take it and spin it that way? Maybe, but I still don't think that that's good. Oh, I don't oh, either. Yeah. It's yeah. just I, I just the way that that's worded. I'm like, mm, uh oh. Now I think I think that they basically they've listened to a few of the people that are, you know, what we consider you know legacy experts. Well, hopefully um, you're one of them. Uh, you know, so and maybe they you know they've read a lot of the you know they they obviously they're on Twitter they obviously see all the posts you know there are people that were com that were commenting on uh, ban announcements that had nothing to do with legacy. To say, hey, you should ban this card in Legacy because it's it's really really bad and nobody likes playing with it. So it's not that they didn't know they've they've heard this feedback uh, for some time now. So I don't I don't know. Uh, I, I definitely, you know, obviously you know there's a bit of a leeriness to making decisions about a format that are in relation to decisions that are made with without a real like hard databases. Yeah, like that that kind of is awkward in a sense. Uh, but I also think that you also have to listen to your community because if the community says they don't want to play with these cards because they do this or that, and they don't like how those games play out, uh, maybe then that's a change you should consider because then you have people playing the format more, first of all. <laughs> and, and also, you know, it just, if the, if it makes the format more fun for people, I mean, fun's hard. Like, fun's is obviously such a super subjective thing. But if a lot of people are, like, saying, this isn't fun, maybe listen to them. Like, right. you know. So, I mean, they admitted that Oka was a mistake when uh, it was causing problems in Standard. And they're, they're like, oh, we didn't think that the turn something into an elk ability would be used on other players' things. Oops. And that was from Play Design who said that. So... If that was a mistake there, what's to say that 
that mistake wasn't going to be happening in Legacy, which it did. Right. Like, yeah, oh, the yeah. Whole, the whole overtime thing. Overtime? Hell, you had over a year. Right. Yeah. Like... It, it definitely you, is, a, is a thing that should have happened. Oh, yeah. You can't Way. rely upon either countering it, Abrupt Decay, or Pyroblast to just carry that weight to deal with Oko. That, that's too much of a burden to put on those type of strats. Right. So, also, you wanted to talk about the spirit of the format thing? Yeah, like, the, the whole the whole thing where, um, like, the, where was it here? Uh, oh, yeah, uh, that uh, it, it homogenizes gameplay patterns in a way that, and, and I kind of touched on that just a second ago. Like, right. you know, you put so much, uh, so much emphasis on, like, all right, if you want to beat this card that's showing up everywhere... You have to play these counter strategies, or your play experience, which uh, this is kind of a segue for later, for a little bit here. Your experience is going to be unenjoyable with whatever deck you're having. So if you're playing Death and Taxes, good luck trying to be Oko. Like your best option is to play something that uh, normally isn't played in that deck, like. I don't know, Banishing Light or O-Ring well, or something. Well, they did get Skyclave Apparition. Uh, that's true, they so, did. Right. And e even then that wasn't enough. Like, cool, you got rid of one Oko. Sweet, I'll now make your Skyclave into an Elk. And now I get this 3-3 three, three Illusion Token or whatever, right? No, that's uh, not how that works. Oh, that's true, because it no. doesn't necessarily leave play. No, no, they won't get... Uh, it's it's probably bad form to, to um, Elk uh, Skyclave Apparition. Yeah, you you want yeah. you want the token. Yeah, so. but but still, like that whatever was given still wasn't enough. Right. Yeah. Um. And yeah, it, it just you know it, it it made dealing with it hard. It made dealing with the the spells that Oko was uh that were around the Oko cards uh, hard to deal with. Like you couldn't play Chalice. Right. Like one of the things that uh, I have forgotten about Legacy and was reminded of today that. Unlike play to the board formats like modern and especially standard, um, the spell support the creatures or the spell support the permanents you have on the board. Where in Legacy, it's the opposite. Right. So, uh, in, in order to try and beat an Oko strat, maybe you find a way to prevent your opponent from casting all their cantrips or one drops or whatever. Well, you can't do that because then your Chalice of the Void turns into an Elk and they right. go ham. Right. So, yeah. And not only that, I think it's also, you know, interesting to note that, you know, they talk about him as an easy answer to unanticipated threats. So, you know, you could brew a deck that has some cool creatures and something interesting going on, but those creatures, and, and again, this goes back to the fact that Legacy has a very large card pool and should offer, you know, you the ability to deck build and be innovative. And that's something they pointed out. They wanted you to be innovative. And that's something about Legacy that is pretty accurate in the past. There's a lot of innovation in deck building in Legacy. And that Oko just makes a lot of that not worth it. Like, why test a brew that might have something cool going on when it just dies becomes an elk? Right. You know, and it's so. kind of the same reasoning that uh, Uro was banned in the other formats. They right. just became so ubiquitous. It's like, why bother? Well, they're going to do it and pass. It's cool. I'll tap my three mana, play my Uro, and do the same thing they did. Right. Yep. So, uh, and then so uh, outside of Oko, I, which I'm just, I'm kind of glad. I'm glad. I'm glad he's gone. Yep, uh, same. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Arkham's Ast Astrolabe. 
uh, is another card that has contributed to the power of consistency of the Snowco decks. Traditionally in Legacy, deck builders need to make choices about whether they have easy access to many colors or build a mana base that's resilient to disruption like Wasteland and Blood Moon. Archive's Ar label has mana bases to have high both high color flexibility and high resilience to mana denial. That's a uniquely important part of the Legacy metagame. This is something apparently they recognize that mana denial is a legitimate strategy and part of the Legacy metagame. Kind of like another mission statement. There. Right. Wasteland is important to Legacy. And that, I think that's great. Uh, ultimately, we think a narrow class of decks having such a re resilience for a low, relatively low investment is an advantage that leads to less metagame diversity. I agree with this a lot. Yeah, the, the snow decks all look the same. There's just no denying it. Like They oh, all yeah. look the same. They may have... One may be Alluren. One may be Food Chain. One may be running Holbreacher and Snow, uh, or Days Undoing. One may be running uh, Dreadhorde Arcanist and Uro. Uh, but they all look the same. Like, all of them. And it's just, you, you can't even, like, break them out into, like, various types. Because they just all, like, 50 out of 60 of the cards are literally the same. And it's, that's, that's what I think is the biggest thing. And also, because of the color pie. Color pie should matter. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's another thing that um, Astrolabe has done. Uh, I mean, now, in a way, Astrolabe was a green card. Yeah. Now, I would have been <laughs> fine with seeing if Astrolabe would be a card that would be okay without Oko. I would have been fine with that. But I'm also fine with them banning it. So, yeah, <laughs> like, I, I think just like just like with the, uh, the, the first thing they said about community feedback, I think this is one of the cards... That uh, has a lot probably of... the highest community feedback. Oh yeah, maybe absolutely. even more, maybe even more than Oko. Well, remember earlier when I said that uh, we had graveyard hate in, in modern because of Uro, right? And that was a lesson we did not learn from Hogak. Well, here we didn't learn the Deathrite Shaman lesson, and that gets banned. And here comes Astrolabe to just straight up replace it. You know, we had kind of the same soup decks where you played. Nephilim colors, uh, or even five colors if you could, right? And just went ham, right? And, and now, ugh. it's it's worth noting that they also could have felt that with Oko gone, mm -hmm. that Delver could not keep up with policing because again, remember they talk about how you know these decks are Wasteland and Blood Moon, you know, it resi resilient, but the best deck in the format was technically a Wasteland deck, but you take away its three mana you know planeswalker and all of a sudden things get a little dicey in making that deck good enough to keep up with those decks so because i don't think it was i don't think it was wasteland that let rug delver keep up with snow it was oko yeah it was oko and other cards like you know that like the decks that played young pyromancer and like that that really like let it kind of keep up with snow so maybe without Oko, Snow gets like way better because it suddenly has three slots it can you know, two or three slots it can use now on other stuff. Um, so, uh, so I'm uh, again I, I was I would have been okay with seeing it seeing them just ban Oko in this banana announcement, but I also am okay with what they did. So right, because like some some of these cards have been banned. Like if they wouldn't have pushed them so hard, like. We talked a couple episodes ago about if Uro was a mere opposite of Kroxa, where if it didn't draw a card, it just or 
or it revealed it and put it in a land, put it in your hand. If it feels a land or something, and still gain three life. Like that probably would have been fine. It just wouldn't have been so overpowered and ubiquitous. If Oko had a plus one, minus one, or even minus two, maybe minus five, it probably would have been pretty fair and maybe not as powered as it is now. Or maybe had the you can only target your own things instead of targeting anybody else's things. Or or just target creature. Yeah, 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 exactly. You're not taking something that's not a creature and turning it into an elk. Right. You're changing your uh, crappy birds of paradise you don't need and making that an actual threat. Arkham's Astrolabe, I don't think there's a way to save it. Like, if it cost one generic mana instead of snow mana and had snow add one mana of any color or one add one snow mana of any color, I, I, don't, I don't know if the results would be any different. I think they'd still be the same. Uh, so... Um... The uh, third card that they got rid of was Dreadhorde Arcanist, and Ooh, people uh, are mad about that. I'm I'm okay with this card going. Honest oh, to sure, God, same. like honest to God, like I'm I'm okay with it. So they say Arcanist has proven to be powerful and game defining in a way that further adds to cards and strategies that were already among the most powerful, like Teamer Delver, Rug Delver. Uh, without Oko, we anticipate that Dreadhorde Arcanist strategies would only become more prominent. Uh, so here they're saying that possibly. Uh, Chalice even coming back would not have been enough to combat it, uh, which is possible. Uh, ultimately, the community sentiment that we heard is that Dreadhorde Arcanist makes gameplay revolve it too early in the game, and that too many games come down to whether an opponent can immediately remove it. Therefore, we're choosing to ban Dreadhorde Arcanist the Legacy. Now, that's true. That part is real true, because that's that's kind of the sub-game of the Dreadhorde Arcanist game. Your opponent plays a Dreadhorde Arcanist. Can you get rid of it? Do you before, have a bolt? Before they can untap yeah. Yeah. And it, can they protect it? Yeah. And not only that, it makes these games where it makes for these games where your opponent has maybe two force of wills in hand or whatnot, or two or force of will and a force of negation and two other blue cards. Okay. And maybe they've got a cantrip in the yard. They're going to be all okay with blowing all of that counter magic on a single thing if it protects that dread arcanist and makes it untap. Yep, which is not conducive to, quote, the spirit of the format right. with how Wizards wants Legacy to be. Right. Yeah, your opponent's going to go, oh, you're going to try and, um, you know, bolt my, my Arcanist. I'm going to force it. Yep. Oh, oh, you've got another force. I'm going to force that force. Uh, uh, Pyroblast? Cool. I'm going to force that Pyroblast. Right. So, and then, well, the Pyroblast doesn't kill Arcanist. Well, no, but it kills oh. the force. Oh, yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, whatever. yeah, true. Yeah. So, yeah, they're going to go all in on on making sure that they can keep that Dreadhorde Arcanist alive. And then at some point, then they untap with it. Then they get to attack with it and, and flash back that cantrip. And now they're back to reload it. That, and now they've got that counter magic, you know, possibly have that counter magic back. It's Just, a 1-3, Joe. Yeah. A 1-3. You know. Like, I, I think people, un I underestimated this card, but I think people underestimated this card in general because they're like, oh, 1-3. So you cast a spell, cool, well, I need to find a way to make it bigger to cast something that's not a 1-drop. Right, but like, then you realize in Legacy that all the spells you ever want to cast are 1-drops. Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing <laughs> I think people missed. Like, right. Uh, of the spells that are 1-drops, like Swords to Plowshares probably is maybe in the bottom of the top 5 because you have so many other cards like uh, brainstorm and bolt and ponder. No, num number one is brainstorm. 
Yeah. Uh, number two is probably Ponder. Yeah. Uh, number three is Lightning Bolt. Yeah. Uh, four is Preordain. Yep. Five uh, would be Cabal Therapy, maybe? No. Um, Thoughtseize, maybe. Oh, yeah, Thoughtseize. Maybe. Yeah. But, I, I mean, like, not even that. Like, like it just, like, those top four are enough. Yeah, like, is Swords even in the top ten? Prob- maybe, yeah, because there's not... You're start getting kind of muddy in the, fo- oh, yeah, in, in the one CMC card you want to cast at that point. But Does it rank above Duress? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because Plow was also played in the... Um, the uh, Arcanist Mentor pile that was floating around for a while. Uh, that, that That's a word I think you really need to highlight. Pile. Yeah. Because, like, how many years of pile decks have we had in Legacy? Like, enough is enough. Already. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's just it. Like, Arcanist has those games where you're just like, oh, my, plan- my opponent played an Arcanist. I don't have a way to remove it right now. I lost. Like, there's just no way for me to beat this card because here's the thing also that you have to think about you beat the first one maybe you maybe they get a turn with it maybe you find a removal spell you can beat the first one they've already flashback to cantrip maybe a brainstorm they've already fetched after the brainstorm which means they've already basically cast ancestral recall uh and then they just deploy another arcanist right it's the same thing with uro right and you're like huh I'm like, I don't have a way to remove this one. Crap. Like, so that's just it. You just don't have enough removal uh, to beat the card consistently all the time. And that's that's just it. It's that sub game. You have that sub game at the beginning of the game where your opponent's like, I have an Arcanist. Do you have a way to beat it? And if the answer is no, then guaranteed I'm more than likely going to win this game because of the amount of counter magic that I have to deal with it. And not only that, you know, there are cards and decks that without are without Oko around, there are cards and decks that naturally prey on like Delver decks. And I'm talking about not just Chalice, but I'm talking about card decks that play Knight of the Reliquary or whatnot. If your Knight of the Reliquary is a 5-5 five five or something like that, it's still dying, even if it's a you know, possibly even if a six six, like it could still be dead to a um Arcanist. Simply because they could go bolt, snap, flashback, bolt, bolt. Or they or if it's a five five, it's not ever gonna get to a power and toughness, possibly that could survive, you know, triple bolt. Like you're just they're gonna hit your creature with a bolt and then it's a flashback bolt. You know, say you've got two lands in the yard and you play you know, neither the reliquary. It's a five-five, and it's just just been played to the board. It's dead already. They're just gonna bolt flashback bolt. So it deals with so many cards that you're just like you can't even bother to play these cards. So I again, I would also been okay with seeing if Chalice could have combated the deck with Arcanist. I would have been that, fine. That's the main argument, really. Yeah, yeah. People were like, "Well, maybe they should have let it let baby steps. Maybe they should have let it see if it could." But honestly, I'm oh just as fine as it being gone. Like right, whatever. Because right. I I'm <laughs> looking at uh, Dreadhorde Arcanist, and I'm I'm trying to look at it from the perspective of draft, right, mm-hmm. or limited, right? Because uh, allegedly, the uh, focus has been on limited. 
uh, primarily draft, uh, but limited and standard when designing cards. And when looking at Dreadhorde Arcanist, it's a rare, not a mythic, but looking at it, it's like how many cards in War of the Spark draft are there at one converted mana cost? Uh, there's a few. Uh, there, yeah, I have found four instants. I haven't looked for sorceries yet. Samut Samut Sprint is a thing. Yeah, uh, giving it plus two, plus one, and gains haste till end of turn. Right. So, you know, having the uh, Dreadhorde Arcanist on, on the board, making it a three four with uh, trample, with trample, yeah. uh, scrying one, then attacking and being able to cast a card that's converted man costs what three or less, I believe. Right. right. Yeah. So uh, there's that giant growth. Uh, is in the format. So, you know, there are... I, I understand the reasoning for how it was built, but I wish they wouldn't have the blinders on so damn tight when designing some of these cards because, like, if they're looking at, it like, oh, well, here's Giant Growth and here's this. Like, somewhere along the line, it should be like, oh, man, it's a good thing Brainstorm's not in this format. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, or, 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 even, or even just with Draft. It's a good thing Opt isn't in the format. Right. Right? Like, something should have clicked. I'm like, mm, hold, hold on, guys. Right. Uh, and then, so finally, the other thing that they uh, were talking about is that they did discuss banning Uro in Legacy as well. Uh, but they feel that the power level is more in line with the overall power of Legacy as compared to Historic Pioneer and Modern. The bar is high for what three and four mana spells need to accomplish in Legacy. And we believe Uro can, can coexist as a competitive but not dominant option. Additionally, the bans of Oko Crowns and Arkham's Astrolabe should significantly decrease the metagame share of existing decks that Uro naturally slots into. And I we'll think see. I, I think that that is quite possibly correct. Uh, I think that after, especially after seeing this, and we'll, maybe we'll see more about this like tomorrow with tomorrow's Legacy Challenge event. There mm-hmm. were some Uros in today's event, but it wasn't like a lot. Like, you know, there was, there was, out of 93 players, there were some people that were playing Uro, you know, in Bug or whatever, but, like, there was also people playing Jeskai, and there was also people playing Grixis, and there was also people playing Esper, so, uh, and obviously Esper Control won the event, so... What? That's insane! (laughs) So, uh, I think that there's a lot of things you can do in the mid-range control aspects, that you don't necessarily need to play. Well, Uro's not a control card, but anyway, right. Well, I, but I was just saying, you don't necessarily need to play. I mean, more like the mid rangey piles. Sure, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. So I, I think that in the more mid rangey decks, like there's not a real huge reason to play the card. Uh, but like uh, if you're in bug, you might as well. Uh, because it's going to be very good there. But again, you're in a color combination already that makes it you know, work. Uh, Bant, maybe. Yeah, you can play it in Bant. Uh, what about Lands? Lands is probably a deck that is probably okay to play it in, but they also have things like Valakut Exploration. So, and and Valakut Exploration has basically become a 4 of in Lands. Uh, because that card is insane. <laughs> well, if you get, like, two or three of those things on the board, mm-hmm. and uh, an Exploration effect or two, you can legitimately kill your opponent with it because you can, uh, you're playing a single land. They're exiling, you're exiling three different things 
to your Valakut explorations. Then you play another, maybe that's a fetch land, and you fetch, and then play, get another couple, you know, three things. And then you play another land, and you get another couple, three things. If all three of those Valakut explorations dump all three of those things to the uh, graveyard at the end step, that's nine damage to their face. So, like, and not only that, you could just do that. Like, you're like, oh, I don't have to. And that's a way they can also win the game through graveyard hate. Yeah, see, yeah. That, that's why I was thinking about, like, granted, uh, Graveyard Hate does deal with uh, Uro to an extent, mm-hmm. well, actually a lot, but mm-hmm. um, the fact that lands naturally plays to their graveyard, right. that they could easily exile just stuff they don't need anymore. There is and, there is definitely probably room for, like, bug lands, where sure. you can play Abrupt Decay. and Ooh, bug lands, interesting. Yeah, and you can play Abrupt Decay and Uro, and that's probably fine. Uh, there's also probably uh, a case to be made for uh, bug uh, loam, to where you can play uh, a loam build where it play you're playing abrupt decay and Bob and Uro, and like eh. Field of the Dead or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all the lands decks are gonna play Field of the Dead anyways, but Uro, oh, but yeah, loam yeah. loam will probably play them. But you could also play like Liliana and Uro in the same deck. Like you know, you could play Liliana and if you have to pitch your Uro. Yeah, or pitch an extra Uro. Right, you and know. if your graveyard's big enough, you can just escape it. Right. And now you have a blocker for your Lily. Right, so that's something to think about. Like, Also, Uro gaining life also offsets Dark Confidant. So that's also really good. Uh, now, as I look at my playset of sign bobs and <laughs> So, yeah, I, I'm okay with, I'm okay yeah. with leaving it for now. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, and just see how it goes. I don't think it's going to have to go for a while. Um, and honestly, we have more sets coming. So that's the other thing to like think about. Like, yeah. uh, you know, we do have more sets coming. So uh, who knows, you know, what happens with uh, Strixhaven uh, in that regards. Like if we get something that's good in Strixhaven, that sort of thing. Yeah, um, and, and the, the cards they... Uh, previewed already don't seem to be too powerful. Uh, they, they, uh, Grant, I, I say this with every set when I look at stuff because I'm bad uh, at evaluating cards. But um, when looking at what's been previewed already, officially previewed already for Strixhaven, uh, those cards seem to be staying in their lane, where they're wanting to be standard slash pioneer. Uh, and I have a feeling that uh, with pioneer that. Wizards wants Pioneer to be what they wanted Modern to be. The take your standard cards and play them in a, quote, non-rotating format. Uh, and, and that could be part of why they're making this change or whatever, especially if they're trying to set up for Arena. But we, we still have one more format to talk about in regards to a banner restricted update, Joe. Holy yep. cow. Yeah, I know. Uh, so uh, the other uh, format that got changed is Vintage. And in this case, it was an unbanning. Uh, an unbanning? An unbanning. So, uh, Shahazarad has been unbanned? Oh, no. Nope. Uh, Luris of the Dream Den. Oh, come on. Has been unbanned in Legacy. Or, oh, or not Legacy, in, in Vintage. Uh, and they say, uh, shortly after the release of Ikoria, Luris was added to the Vintage ban list as the only card on that list do- so- solely due to power level for the unique reason that a restriction was not a meaningful solution given the companion mechanic. At the time, the power available benefit of losing Loris's companion was far too high relative to its deck-building cost. 
However, we've since changed the companion rule to require additional mana investment, which comes at a premium in the context of vintage power level. A key aspect of the spirit of vintage. Hey, we got another spirit of the format. Uh, <laughs> you could make a drinking game out of this. This man, right. yeah. <laughs> is that we'd like much of Magic's card library to be available as possible. So we're running the experiment of unbanning Luris of the Dream Den. We'll be keeping our eye on what this does to the metagame and are willing to revert the change if needed. But we believe that Luris should be given the chance for another chance to prove itself under the new companion role. And I am actually all okay with this. I'm uh, not. Uh, I am. Uh, and the reason I am is because I agree with their statement about Vintage. Uh, vintage is a place where you should be able to play as much of Magic as possible. That I agree with. Yes. Uh, and what I've heard so far about the card so far is that it's not quite what it was. Okay, question. Because this leads into why I don't like it. Those people who are saying that, are they just trying to play it as a companion or are they playing them in the main deck? Both. People have tried both. Okay. And it come to find out, like, main deck, it's maybe okay. But it, the thing is, is, like, if it's too good in the main deck, they can restrict it. Well, right. And that that's my concern. A lot of people, when they saw this, like, oh, cool, because the, the magical words that are not on the actual card that's printed because of this thing called errata, um, and not errata um... Because of that, like, this card's completely fine as a companion. I'm like, they're just going to main deck it. They're yeah. Gonna, they're going to put maybe all four main deck or start out game one, three main deck, one the board as their companion, and then post-board just put all four main deck. Right. You know, so I don't know. So the biggest deck that, that this really slots into, honestly, as a companion is Breach. Uh, but again... In order to have it as a companion, you're making a real choice with it now. Like, the choice is, okay, I have a companion, but it costs six mana to put into my put a hand and play it. Is that better than just tinkering for Bolas's Citadel? Uh, you know, you know, that's the thing. Lurus does give you the ability to, like, have those games where you could play a value Underworld Breach and then, like, buy back your Underworld Breach, like, a turn later. But that's... They're still playing a, putting a significant amount of mana investment into that, where maybe it's not worth it. Like, and, and from what I found uh, in just looking at um, the top 32 of today's Vintage Challenge, uh, there were two Lurus Companion Breach decks in the top eight. That's it. Uh, there was one Breach PO deck in ninth, which was Bryant Cook. Uh, there was a, a at 16th, there was a artifact-based Esper Luris main deck. <laughs> uh, there was a, two more Breach decks down in the top, at bottom of the half of the top 32, and one Esper Luris as a companion. So only one person played it in the main in this top 32, but there was only like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven decks total out of this top 32 that actually had a Luris in it. Uh, what was interesting to see is that it wasn't like when Luris was around the first time where you were punished. When Luris was around the first time, you were punished if you didn't play the card. If you were not playing Luris, 
you were maybe playing Lutri, which was the other good companion at the time. But, like, if you were not playing a Lurus deck, you were not winning in uh, the those games. You weren't. You just you weren't. And that was... It, it put too much emphasis on that sub-game of your opponent having Lurus, Black Lotus, Lurus, Black Lotus. And that just was just a, a really awkward uh, place to be. But with making it cost three more sure like uh i think it's gonna be fine i think it's gonna prove to be fine and if it doesn't prove to be fine as a main deck card they can just restrict it right which just forces it to be a companion and then you're more focused on the contents of your deck right than you are getting lorison to play and looping black lotus before it can be out right and like honestly like it's one of those things where you're like okay my uh opponent chose to play Luris. That means I don't have to worry about Tinker. Right. Ooh, okay, cool. <laughs> like, man, if I don't have to worry about Tinker, guess. Like, because maybe you're playing a deck that just, like, loses to Tinker. Like, you know, you're just like, okay, my deck just dies to Tinker. Like, because Tinker Bolas the Citadel is, like, the dumbest thing you could do. Like It seems pretty dumb, it's, like, to, to yeah, be honest. Yeah, it really is. Like, there's a literal fair consideration uh, you know, if, you know, we wanted to be real talkative about, you know, utilizing whether or not the banning, original banning of Loris sets a precedent enough to ban other cards in Vintage for power level reasons, there's there's a conversation to be had about Bolas the Citadel. Because you can't restrict it. It's, it's, it's a completely non-restrictable card. You just can't do it. Because it would still see play. It would not make it worse. It would because all the decks only play one anyways. So because they're just tinkering for it. And there's a million other cards that go get Tinker as opposed to cards that go get Bolas of Citadel. And you know, Tinker is the card that gets Bolas of Citadel in play, but you have cards like Demonic Tutor, and you have cards like Vampiric Tutor, and you have Mystical Tutor. Um those are all restricted, of course, but you get to play all three of them. You know? Uh, or you can play uh, Merchant Scroll to go get your Mystical Tutor to, Oof. you know, get your Merchant Scroll. Or, or yeah, to go get your Tinker, uh, you know, or you know, you play your Vampiric Tutor on their end step and go get Tinker, you know, and that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, that's just it. Like your your opponent saying, "I have Lurus of the Dream Den as my companion." You're like, "Oh man, I don't have to worry about Tinker." Like God, like cool, like. Like maybe I'm playing a deck that plays Narset, you know, as right. you know, every, you know, the restricted Narset, you know, like every blue deck, and they're playing like PO with Luris, and you're just like, oh man, I don't have to worry about Tinker. I can deal with PO because I can either Narset or Hull Breacher or play a, you know, Pyroblasts and stuff like that that defeat PO. I can beat PO, but I can't beat Tinker. <laughs> so uh, see I, I've never played a lick of vintage um, that, that I can remember so it, it's been 22 years since I had to be concerned about Tinker uh, and that was back when it was in standard and that's back before we had like proper places to play this is back when we were still 
sitting on the concrete and playing. Uh, I remember playing out in front of Mavericks when they were trying to host some form of magic organized play and I'm just bringing some brew and I'm getting tinkered to death uh, in standard. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I can understand the concern in not wanting to deal with Tinker because uh, that card is absurd. It's so absurd that if you wish to have a foil copy of this Urza's Legacy All-Star, uh, the first set that it, uh, had foil cards in, you could get one for a cool price of about $800. Um, good luck. Or if you want Near Mint, if you don't want Lightly Play, if you want Near Mint, uh, you're paying about double that price. So, good luck if you're <laughs> looking for uh, some sweet, pimped-out tinkers, or you can just get one from, what was that, From the Vault Relics or something, uh, From the Vault Exiled. So, yeah, so, yeah, I'm, I'm actually just, this has been a sentiment of the people in the vintage community for a while, that they would like, that they would like to see how Loris would actually fare underneath the new companion rules. And I wish they would just print them with the current wording on there. Maybe they will at some point. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they will at some point. Uh, maybe in like a supplemental product or something like that. But... Well, there's actually been talk that on the inside of WotC that they're feeling okay about... Um, er errating digital cards... Because mm. right now, like, if you play Throne of Eldraine, like, if you, say if you drafted your your brains out and drafted Throne of Eldraine and got all four copies of Oko, and, well, now it's been yeeted out of Arena, you got those cards, and sure, you got the wild cards back, but you can't play it anywhere. Uh, and, and literally, right now, you can't play it anywhere unless you play Vintage or Commander. Um, so those people who only have access to arena can't play that card. So they're, the more this happens, the more the, I don't want to say demand, but the voices for those who are like, just fix the card, make it only available on arena so we can play the darn thing. Right. Those voices are getting louder. And it's like, if you're going to do this, like they, they need to find a way to print it or make it available like through them, like via like secret layer or something to where if people wanted it, here's your window of opportunity. But even then there's issues where someone didn't get it in time, but it will at least enter the secondary market if you print enough of them. Right. I, I, I don't know. Like then there's a whole like, well, now there's two versions. Sweet. This other one's worthless. Like, or worth more. Oko right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right now is, uh, is 20, like 20 bucks for Oko Thief of Crowns. Uh, and it can only be played right now in two formats. So, like, people are still playing it. But really, like, I, I understand the need and desire to play this stuff. Like, I, I want to play this card. I have nowhere to play it. Just don't print the busted stuff to begin with. Don't, like, seriously think about campaigns instead of having one person force through their idea upon everybody else, even when they don't agree with it. And then you have all these problems. Seriously think through about design. You're freaking game designers. You're supposed to be smarter than us, and the tables have been flipped, and this is why we have this constant ban, 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 ban going on. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that... Um, I think that that makes a lot of sense from a standpoint of that 
you know, don't don't get that they 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 need to design cards uh, a little better, uh, a little bit more. Uh, and we're, we were talking about that actually a little bit because uh, uh, you had mentioned something about how uh, Gavin Verhey had mentioned talking about white cards on yeah, Good Morning uh, Magic and how cards like Holebreacher could have probably been white and that they might, you know, do some shifting of cards like that and that there might be cards that are printed like like that that might be white instead of and i'm like yeah well sure do that (laughs) like yeah i mean well white is supposed to be the color of society civilization order order. yeah right so like they've been given white a lot of flash stuff which kind of makes sense especially when you think of it from an orzov level where it's like you're doing something white's like hold on that's against the rules like um um Oh god, what's the card? You, uh, someone mentioned this. Me, uh, you did actually uh, in the pre-show. Um, Containment priest. That's a perfect card. It has white. You're trying to resurrect something. Uh, like, nope. Hold on. You can't do that. Like that. That's a perfectly reasonable card for white. Um, uh, card draw. Like they're not looking at necessarily divination, but they're looking at something like uh, both players draw, or drawing under certain circumstances and seeing how they can make that better because what they've done is they've printed cards like that that are so heavily mana costed that by the time you cast that card you're behind because the other colors are doing other things you're, you're tapping out later in the game than you should be for for an effect that just simply draws you a card uh ramp was something that was brought up and i sent him a tweet like hey if white's supposed to be about civilization why can't we like tap creatures we have in play to go get a land because if you think about it from order and society and civilization you know when when cities grow uh the citizens or whoever is part of a construction crew or in charge of expanding the the zoning of the city or whatever they go build the land so you can kind of have it in flavor with that color where it's mostly tokens and creatures cool i'm these Three dudes are going to be busy for a second. We're going to go get a land out of our deck before we take our next turn. Untap and whatever, right? Like an effect like that, I think, would be kind of dope. So I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens, but it's going to be years. Like it won't be in Strixhaven or or D and D, which I don't really think the D. I think the D and D set is going to be this self-contained thing that, while legal and standard in other formats, I I, I don't think it's going to be this. It's not going to be a continuation of, like, the magic story, of course. Right. Uh, and it's not going to inject D&D into magic lore so all you, like, first edition red box nerds out there can calm down. Um, but, you know, I maybe Innistrad is where we start seeing it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but I, I don't expect to see it till like, the spring set in 2022 where we start seeing some of these cards that Gavin's talking about in Good Morning Magic. And this was, like... A few days ago, maybe a week ago. So go go watch Good Morning Magic. It, it's solid, wholesome content. I, I do want to say that um, I think that, yeah, you're right. Like, it's going to be a while before we see it. I also was going to say that I, I also think that they could do, like, mana ramp based on using things like uh, treasure tokens and stuff yeah. in white. They've, they've obviously experimented with that a little bit with, like, things like smothering tithes. Where you could actually have that be a thing where they can, 
where white gets to make be one of the primary colors that makes treasure tokens. Yeah, like so. clues and treasure tokens have been mostly primarily white. Right. Uh, like um, uh, Thraben Inspector. Right. Uh, is real big in that. So, yeah, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I'm interested to see what they do to try and do something with white. Like, back, if you go back about five, six years, red was lumped with white as like a bad color in multiplayer because of the same factors, especially draw. Over, over that stretch of time between then and now, red has been given a lot of things to kind of compensate for that or uh, things to combat the other colors to bring them uh, the br- bridge that gap between red and everybody else. White has been kind of left behind. And in that video that Gavin posted, he even mentioned that a lot of what white is doing is more for one-on-one play than, uh, than commander play, which is odd because they, a lot of these sets... And the things we've talked about, Uro, Astrolabe, and so on, uh, these cards have primarily been designed for Commander. Right. Let's just call spade a spade. And we've been dealing with that in one-on-one play forever, it feels like. So if we can kind of find, I hate using that, find that balance, because it just feels so, like, uh, unimaginative. But if we can find that balance, because there was a time, folks... There was a time back, maybe before you were conceived, I don't know. But there was a time from like uh, Ravnica City of Guilds, uh, summer of, or fall of 05, all the way through to Journey into Nyx, where magic was fine. The only cards banned in standard were Jace to Mind Sculptor and Stoneforge Mystic. Right. Sure, there were cards banned in Legacy, but, you know, uh, when people are like, well, there wasn't as much growth then, and and da, da, I'm like, we had a new format in modern. Uh, Commander was officially brought in, coverage increased. You can't tell me there wasn't growth. There was, and if they're able to just produce balanced, fun sets for everybody to consume, and not push a card to like, hey, shiny toys. They were able to do it before. There's something else going on that's causing them to do the things they have been. And, I don't know, maybe Agatha Harkness is behind it all. <laughs> Could be. She She's behind yeah. a lot of stuff, so. Right. Um, so, do you want to talk about your, do you want to talk about WandaVision or do you want to talk about your other? Oh, what, before we get to WandaVision, one thing I want to hit on, and I know we're, we're uh, this episode's long, so if you are with us now, kudos, hang in there. We got some more stuff to talk about. Uh, some magic here in a sec that I'm going to talk about, and then we'll get to the goodies. Um, but thank you for listening. One thing I've been noticing uh, with this ban restricted announcement is a lot of the verbiage that's going on. Like uh, someone would say, "Well, uh, my uh, this card is unbanned," and I'm like, well, "It was never banned." Like some people are like, "Oh, Snapcaster Mage is unbanned now with this ban restricted update," and I'm like. It was never banned. Oh, sure, it was unplayable is the uh, retort I would get back. And I'm like, no, it's not unplayable. You can put it in a damn sleeve and play it and register it. This goes back to what I was talking about where I didn't change my decks for a year because I didn't I didn't blindly follow the lemmings off the cliff uh, with Uro and everything else. Um, and, and this just needs to stop. Like, when I see the word unplayable... And I get it. Some people are trying trying to say something different, but to me, it comes across as 
negative. It's like if you're with friends or, or even acquaintances and you're wearing certain sports attire of a team or whatever. Like, why do you follow that team? They suck. They never win. Like, that, that's the rhetoric that comes out. That's what comes out of their mouth. It's demeaning. It's like, your choice is bad. Why? Well, they don't win. Well, your deck choice is bad. Why? Because it doesn't win. And, and they'll even follow it up like, well, I've played it and it's unplayable. Like, their decisions are more important than yours. And it's just crap. Like, um, it would be different if you want to say, why well, play the deck? And, I, you know, I don't know why you're playing that deck. I tried it and I didn't enjoy my experience. Or I found it unfun. Or these are things you're going to encounter. Instead of just using one word and, quote, unplayable, end quote, have the conversation. Hey, why did you make that choice? These are things you want to look out for. Make sure your sideboard is prepared for X, Y, and Z. That way you kind of give that person a leg up. Punch, punch them up, as they say, instead of punch them down. And, you know, it, it just it drives me nuts with once this BNR update came out on President's Day, which what I've heard called is the President's Day Massacre, which is like, oof, especially <laughs> with the recent... Uh, very historic things that have happened IRL. Right. Um, you know, uh, but looking at that, people are like, hooray, this is that, and now that's unplayable, and just these words being tossed around, it's like, no wonder why no one likes us. You all sound like idiots. Right. Like, you all sound unintelligent, stuck in your mom's basement. Like, come on. Like, we, we can and should be better. Uh, you know, the other thing that kills me is all these people who are like, uh, especially when these new cards came out, like Urho or whatever, you know, whatever, like, well, I can't play this deck anymore. I quit. Well, quitters obviously don't win. Like, why you quit? Now now you're getting back on the mat. Now you're getting up off the couch because Urho's gone. Well, shit, I've been here this whole time. Where you been, fam? Like, I didn't quit. Why did you? Like, you know, just all this just makes it so just, it, it just makes it so intolerable to even be a part of the community, to be honest. And granted, I am older. Um, you know, I'm in my mid-40s, which I was reminded of uh, when I went to the doctor last week. Um, <laughs> but just hearing how, how some of us speak just makes me wonder what in the F am I doing with my life? You know, and, and that's where I, I peel back and I focus on friends locally like yourself, Warren, Adam, things like that. People I enjoy being around uh, and people and watching content from people I enjoy like our friends over at Magic Mike's, uh, uh, folks over at MTG Goldfish, things like that, where like these things aren't said or at least said in the context of a demeaning manner. Uh, they're, they're saying it, they're contracting their thought into like as few words as possible. And I, I get it, but we need to stop doing that too. We need to be clear with what we say and not like, not use these words and terms that belittle people. And it's just, it's stupidly irritating. Like, again, like I mentioned earlier, if someone wants to roll into FNM with an Is It Forge Master deck, and yeet out a Blightsteel Colossus, please, I want that. That's the person I want to talk to after the match. Why did you do this? Who? Where'd you get this idea from? I'd never thought of that before, right? 
And they'll be like, oh, I watched uh, Against the Odds with Saffron Olive or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I watched this stuff. I must have missed a video. And it opens up a conversation and a dialogue where you make the connection in the community, which is all part of the words, the gathering on the back of the damn card. <sighs> but anyway. That felt good. So, yeah, it, it did. Uh, <laughs> so I, I digress. Just, you know, let, let's be better, folks. Let, let's be better. Uh, speaking of being better, WandaVision is getting better, so <laughs> if you yeah. don't want spoilers, tune out now, like, meet us at the end of the show, and you can find out how to reach us and talk to us. Yeah, we, but, we're not going to be too long on it, but... Yeah, yeah. I'm going to try not to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, we had two episodes since we last talked about it. Um, six and seven. Six and seven. Uh, six is we had the, the, the Halloween episode... Uh, which was pretty cool, um, and uh, that that gave us kind of some understanding that Wanda is now pretty much clearly aware of the fact that she what she's doing to people, uh, which is unique and interesting to kind of consider. That she right. she and she knows she's coming to grips with it too. Right, she knows that she's dom- dominating people's will. And she's just kind of okay with it, <laughs> which is the freaky part. You know, you're like, okay, she's she's aware that this is happening. Not only is she aware that it's happening, she's she's literally just okay with it. Hmm. Yes. So uh, kind kind of super villainy in a way, right? Uh, yeah. Right. This episode had a very Malcolm in the Middle type of feel. Too. Yeah, yeah, that was the funny part about the whole thing was the whole Malcolm in the Middle esque, uh, you know, thing about it, uh, and that's I kind of like that about it because it was like I was like, oh yeah, I remember watching Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> I was just like, oh yeah, this is basically just an episode of Malcolm in the Middle. That's that's that, that was a show I never watched to be honest. Yeah, it. So, yeah, that was something that they did with that show. Um, we also kind of get this hint that Pietro, uh, Pietro's Evan Peters Pietro, is kind of not like this, like, great person to be around. He's kind of not a not a fun guy to be around. Right, uh, but he's also aware of his presence in there. Like, yes. It, it's weird. He's not, uh, uh, just like Wanda's kids and Vision, uh, to an extent Vision, uh, but... Uh, Pietro's not being dominated by Wanda per se. Like he's wanting to be real and have a conversation, and it comes off as maybe Wanda's got her shields down because it's her brother or whatever. Right. But, but as we're going to find out in episode seven, that may not necessarily be the case. Right. So we get to kind of get that aspect of it. It was kind of cool getting to see the um, the little Easter eggs like Wanda in the classic Scarlet Witch outfit. As to which yeah. she she pointed out that she was a Sokovian fortune teller, yeah. which is kind of kind of cute and adorable. Uh, so she was she was adorable. Vision in his classic costume, which was put off as him being a luchador, uh, <laughs> yeah, which was funny. Um, and then just uh, a whole bunch of other stuff going on. Uh, but uh, we also get to see that Bill, obviously both Billy and Tommy both exhibit their um, their in universe powers. That they should have uh, as wick- wicked and speed, uh, so that's kind of neat, uh, and uh, we get to see the hex expand uh, because Wanda, because Vision tries to cross over, and for some reason Vision can't 
cross over. He starts dying as soon as he cross, starts crossing over. And and to order to save him, uh, she uh, expands the hex and manages to catch uh, a bunch of the sword agents and uh, Darcy Lewis. Right, in, yeah. In, which is the important thing. Darcy's the important one. Uh, so that leads us into episode seven. Well, I actually touch on a few things real quick in episode six. Uh, Vision went off on his own, didn't go trick-or-treating with everybody else because he was trying to understand everything going on. And as he's going further out of town, away from where Wanda is, the people are moving slower because they're not part of the main plot of Wanda's episode she's broadcasting. So they're kind of inert in a way. Uh, that kind of show the influence Wanda has on people. Vision came across Agnes, uh, where he did the whole Vulcan thing to snap her out of it. And she's like, wait, you're one of the Avengers, but aren't you dead? And all these details about Vision that he doesn't know about because that happened before WandaVision started. He, he's forgotten all that. Um, then he snaps her back into the Wanda reality. Uh, more on her later. Um, and on the outside, Darcy mentions to Monica, hey, um, your cells are mutating because you've been in and out of the hex twice. You can't go back in. Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, which we'll get to that in episode seven. Uh, Hayward is not happy with uh, Jimmy, Monica, and Wanda, or Jimmy, Monica, and Darcy messing around with possibly his plans or whatever. So he yeets them off the base he catches Darcy, and she's uh, handcuffed to a jeep as the hex comes in and starts taking everybody over. Um, it was done to uh, cover Vision to make sure he lives, but all the sword agents that were there at the barrier start turning to clowns and other circus performers, which was funny. Um, and if you listen, if you go back and watch that part, you hear Darcy go, fuh, and then it changes the uh, fudge. Oh, yeah, it changes the fudge, yeah. <laughs> which is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's also worth noting, uh, too, that uh, that there is something obviously important about what Hayward's plans are, because the only thing that he is tracking in the, in the hex is vision. Yep, yeah. he's got something called Project Cataract, yeah. which uh, is kind of brought up uh, a little bit more in Episode 7 where he's trying to either make Vision a weapon or figure out how to make multiples of Vision yeah. uh, to have them as sentient weapons, which that's a, th- that's a theory going around that uh, that could wind up uh, morphing into Project Wide Awake, which then you get into the Sentinels. Yes. So it's like, ugh. Yeah, that there's a lot of con- speculation that, that that is the Sentinel project. Right. Uh, and that's that's kind of neat. So, uh, so episode seven was kind of cool because we picked up in this kind of this, the the, so we're in like the two thousands era. You yeah, know? it's like a modern family. Yeah, type. modern so, family. Uh, I got I got a little bit of like Arrested Development. Uh, you know, uh, she's talking to the camera. Uh, you know, and, you know, obviously like there's these cutaways, you know, it's like you have the act a little bit of the, the, the sitcom and then there's this cutaway where she's talking to the camera, you know, and, you know, about what's going on, which is a very 2000s, you know, uh, sitcom 
thing. Yeah, the, the um, office is another one the, like that, too. The, the office, um, Parks and Recreation is like that. Arrested Development is like that. There's so many. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a formula for, like, plenty of different sitcoms. Uh, so that's kind of fun and neat. Uh, another thing I noticed that was really interesting and important is that the title sequence of this episode, uh, is mo- mostly focused on Wanda. Uh, yeah, like, it's, uh, as we're going to find out, it's a misdirect right? to where it's just the word Wanda over and over and over again. You don't see vision come in until the end where it merges for the title Wanda vision but it kind of gives you the sense that the episode is focused completely on Wanda and everything's about Wanda, 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 which, again, the fo- the episode is focused on Wanda and what's going on, but uh, as we're going to find out, it's uh, definitely a rope-a-dope. Right. So uh, pretty interesting stuff going on. Uh, you know, Vision's still kind of trying to figure out what's going on. The circus comes up. We get to see Darcy. As, that circus scene was hilarious, and you know, so she kind of pops in and is and is this circus character. She's an escape artist. She's an escape artist, yeah. And it's funny because when they they show her, because she was handcuffed to the jeep or whatever, she's covered in chains, like she's practicing to break out of them. And the dialogue that Vision uses when he sees her uh, kind of gives the impression that they had a, a, a drunken uh, one night stand the night before. Right. <laughs> Which is kind of goofy. Right. Um, but, but yeah, they, they go off on an adventure trying to get back to town and are uh, continually blocked or misdirected in some manner. Right. Uh, preventing them from getting back. But during this trip, uh, Vision, or before they go on the trip, Vision uh, resets Darcy's mind. And she's only been in the hex for a hot minute. So she's not, like, completely disoriented. Right. And punches the strong man. Say, so take the the elephant ear or, or uh, waffle fries cart or whatever uh, truck, and, and they take that out of town to escape the circus. Um, but during this time, she's catching vision up on everything uh, that she knows and understands up to this point. Right. And, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of neat to see uh, her kind of giving him that background or whatnot. Um and yeah, I mean, also we kind of get the same uh, treatment where uh, she's—they're uh, both talking to the whole thing to to the camera again. Like that's oh yeah, yeah that's also a thing that occurs. Um, yeah, Vision's like, "Why am I talking to you guys?" And just takes the microphone off and gets up out of the chair, <laughs> right? <laughs> and you're just like, "Okay, that that's kind of funny." Like super hilarious thing that that they're doing there with that and uh but yeah so that was kind of fun um but uh i think the biggest thing is uh, obviously wanda wants to be like a staycation home stay at home mom kind of just not wanting to deal with the kids yeah she's having a a case of the mondays case of the mondays uh, yeah her her powers are going out of whack so much that the kids are playing video games and their controllers go from, like, Xbox to GameCube to Atari to then, like, hands of Uno cards. Right. <laughs> that was just funny. Yeah. They're like, what are these? Like, they, they're looking at the cards like, what in the world? People played this? Yeah, they're, they're, her powers are kind of going haywire, and she's just confused as to what's going on. And 
Uh, so yeah, kind of apathetic too, really. Right? Yeah, she's just kind of like, okay, well, I'll just make it. Fi- I'll fix it. You know. Yeah. And you're like, but you can't. <laughs> like, yep. like, it doesn't work that way. Like, so you know, she's just trying to make it work. And um, but yeah, so that um, so we get to see uh, Monica getting trying to get back into the hex. And yeah, that that payoff of whoever that engineer was was kind of mad. I don't. I, I don't. People were people were saying that they weren't sure that that was actually the person that we were they were talking about. Yeah, I I don't think so either. I think whatever message she got was like, all right, cool. Uh, I will give the thing you're looking for. Uh, I'll send it to this person in Sword. They'll be at this destination. Right. So I don't think we're going to see. Uh, whoever that is, unless they're like the super secret cameo that's going to happen in either next episode or the one after that. Right. So, yeah. uh, You know, they try to put her in this this thing to try and get into this hex. Mm -hmm. It don't work. It's just, it it gets turned into like half of a truck. Yeah, which was sweet. Yeah, and uh, so she decides, well... I've been in once. I've been out once. YOLO. Let's go do it. And she decides yeah. to just go run in. And which has a really cool sequence. There's this whole sequence where she's forcing her way through the barrier and whatnot. And you hear all these voices of all these various people. Uh, and um, the some of them are like, she hears like her mom and she hears uh, Darcy and... She hears a couple other people, but the last voice she hears, and this is very important to the, her character, the last mm-hmm. person she hears is Carol Danvers. Yep. And uh, telling her that, you know, yeah, she, because she's, Sar- was it Sergeant Trouble or something like that? Yeah. yeah. Your mom's, your mom's, you know, they made your mom tough because when they gave her out, gave out kids, your mom got lucky because when they were handing out kids, they gave her the toughest one. You yeah. Know, and, uh, you know, so, and then at that point, Monica's eyes blew up and go up blue. And we know immediately that she has superpowers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like we're like, Oh, okay. So she's a superhero now. Cool. Right. Like, like sweet. She, she's being exposed to the cosmic energy that Wanda is exuding. Right. Cause uh, for those who may not remember, uh, Wanda's abilities were activated with the experiments done by uh, Baron von Strucker. Uh, and those abilities came from uh, the Mind Stone, is that right? Yeah, that was in the Tesseract. So this is why I think that um, uh, Wanda and, and Pietro are uh, descendants from the Eternals and have latent X-genes that were activated when that cosmic energy hit them. And this cosmic energy is uh, that Wanda's exuding is changing reality and uh, somehow uh, Monica is able to absorb that energy. And because she's absorbed it enough, her cells have changed. And now she's able to, or she will be able to, probably we'll see it in the next episode, uh, use that cosmic energy built up in her that, that's self-regenerating. She's not necessarily a mutant per se, because uh, um, the, the first iteration of Captain Marvel was Monica Rambeau in the comics. Uh, she's gone by 300,487,622 names in the comics. 
there, uh, there's a lot of yeah. I was to say there's a lot of speculation that Photon. I think that's what's going to happen because of her mother. Her mother's code name was Photon, and she's going to uh, take that name in her honor. Uh, but either way, yeah, she's got. You see her looking at things, and she sees the magic and the cosmic radiation on top of the magic. Uh, and then she blinks a little bit and is able to see normally. And she goes literally running across Westview to try and find Wanda. Right. Which is pretty cool. That's a that's a really unique uh, sequence of her running there and, and uh, whatnot. And then during this whole time, like, Wanda has given the kids over to uh, um, Agnes, the neighbor, uh, and trying to, like, get the kids out of her hair. We see her. Yeah, that, that's totally fine, right? We see her egg, interacting with the kids a little bit because she's got the bunny rabbit, uh, and then we get to Monica confronting uh, Wanda, and she's like, "Hey, you know this this isn't right. You know Hayward's got you know Hayward's doing this, and I don't want him to do that because I I know what you're going through, kind of thing. Because that's been Monica's goal this like whole time. She's been like, "Look, I know what you're going through." Uh, you know, I know that, you know, this sucks and I know that this hurts, but I've, right. but I've been there and you can do it. You can make it through it. And I think that was like the biggest thing it was to be like, oh, okay, well, she knows, you know, what, what Wanda is going through. Yeah. Cause we have to remember that, uh, Monica came back when Hulk snapped everybody back. Right. She came back sitting in a chair next to the bed where she thought her mother was. Right. The the snap was only five hours for those people, but in reality it was like years. Right. Uh, like five years, right? Yeah. Yeah, so Monica's mother uh, died of cancer during the time that Monica was snapped out. So she never had a chance to say goodbye or anything like that. And she spent like the next several weeks dealing with that and then started getting back to work at S.W.O.R.D. and met Hayward and so on and so forth. That was all episode four. So uh, with Wanda, Wanda was also snapped out. Uh, and before she was snapped out, she lost vision. So when she came back, uh, she lost vision only five hours ago. And the events going on in WandaVision are only, what, three weeks after the events in Endgame? So she hasn't, quote, grieved, or she is grieving now, but just not properly grieving, causing all this crap to go on. So, yeah, Monica's trying to be the hero and save Wanda. Right. So, yeah. Um, and, of course, like, it, all in the middle of this, Wanda's like, get away from me. I don't I don't want you near me. Uh, Using her powers openly where everybody can see them. Right, right. And uh, then Agnes shows up. And... Well, well, before we, before that, she tried using her powers on Monica, and you see Monica start radiating blue energy and right. do the whole superhero landing. Right. So, like, that that's kind of a tell that whatever Wanda's doing isn't going to affect Monica anymore. Right. Like, Monica's able to stand up to her with her powers, and she hasn't figured out how to use them yet or, or what she can do. Right. Uh, but, yeah, so we get to see yeah, Agnes. Agnes. And uh, Agnes is making her some tea. You know, it's typical neighbor stuff. You know, she's like, oh, do you want some tea? Do you want something to drink? And uh, we uh, tell, she tells her, Where, where's the kids? And she goes, oh, maybe they're down in the basement. 
And uh, then we get the big reveal. Uh, and uh, the, the Yo Gabba Gabba yeah, on the screen. Yep, yeah, Yo Gabba Gabba. We get big reveal. Wanda goes downstairs to the basement. There's this door. There's all this purpley magic stuff on the walls, tendrils and stuff. There's this lair. Ag- yeah. Ag- Agnes walks in and is like, did you think you were the only magic user in this town? Because yep, there's a, a book radiating some uh, some aura around it. Right. There's these symbols above the pillars in this, uh, I think it's a circular room. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, from what I understand, are supposed to indicate, like, elder gods of the Marvel, or elder beings of the Marvel Universe, like Shumagorath, Nightmare, uh, perhaps even Mephisto. Um, so, yeah. Uh, we, we have Agna... Agatha Harkness, who uh, apparently is a villain. Yeah. Because I don't think she ever portrayed being a villain, per se, in the comics. Because she was, uh, I, don't, I don't know if a nanny or some type of caretaker for Reed Richards. Um, but, but yeah. Uh, she's so, she the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she She's uh, uh, trying to mind control Wanda. Yeah, uh, during all of this, right? And of course, they reveal. Oh, yeah. There's this cute little cutscene about how it was Agatha all along. Oh, right, which was funny. Yeah, and there's all these like little things showing all these various like periods of point t- points of time within the show where Agatha has done something or whatnot to make things happen the way she wanted to. Which also reveals that she is the one who sent Pietro to there. Because her magic was involved. And then, of course, it ends with, and yeah, I killed Sparky, too. Right. Dog murderer. Uh, <laughs> that's going to tilt some people, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. So, um, we actually have a mid credit scene, Joe. Yes. Our first one in this series. Yeah. Which a lot of people missed, including myself, so I had to watch it on the PC. Um, but yeah, Monica is snooping around uh, uh, Agnes's house, or Agatha Harkness's house. Opens up the storm cellar and notices the purple energy coming up. And then here comes Pietro, uh, where he's like, Snoopers are going to snoop. And then you are looking at Monica, uh, Monica's eyes, and there's purple energy uh, across her eyes. So who knows if this person that's portraying Pietro is also using a spell uh, to kind of control Monica, or if. Uh, she's just noticing the purple energy or not. Right. No one knows because it, it ends, so we have to wait till episode eight. Right. So. But, yeah. It was good. It was, it, it, this has been a good, I, I like the slow burn aspect of the show. Uh, yeah. Because I like how they've just kind of like slowly worked their way through each of the, like, if this had been a movie, like, they could have, like, they would have probably already been to, like, the real, like, meat of it already. But I like... Uh, I like... Was seven? Yeah, yeah, because seven episodes in and a half hour piece. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, it would have been already that that way. I think I like it more where you have this, like, slow burn aspect. Uh, right, because it also causes conversation, like... What's going on? What do you think this is? And, you know, all that stuff. Right. I also like that concept of it, of, of um, watching it, like, serially. Like, where you're able to watch it week to week without, like, I think binging it all in once would kind of reduce some of the mystery. Yeah, uh, I can see that. Yeah, I, I do think that that would be a thing that would happen. 
so I, I do, do, do you want my prediction? Sure. All right. Because remember, I predicted Luke Skywalker at the end of season two of Mandalorian a week before it happened. <laughs> so I, I, I just misplaced what episode it was going to happen in. Anyway, so we know that uh, Pietro has like purple energy around him, right? Right. So Evan Peters is appearing as Pietro Quicksilver to the audience, but he, he's truly a demon possessing or impersonating uh, the body of Pietro, or at least the Pietro from the Fox Cinematic Universe. Right. Um, which is throwing people off. So this is where I think Mephisto is the grandmaster behind all of this. Because mm-hmm. uh, he has demons that do work for him and possess uh, uh, other bodies or dead souls or, or whatever to go back into the world and cause mischief or enact his plans or whatever. Right. Uh, so, uh, and I also think Mephisto will be the main villain in Doctor Strange 2, which WandaVision is supposed to be leaning into. That movie, of course, won't be till next year. But that's a whole other story. Um, and and he's, of course, like I mentioned, one who sent the demon to impersonate uh, Pietro. Now, uh, Mephisto may have reached Agatha probably through that book because of how it's radiating that energy. Right. Um, you know, he, he could also be impersonating Ralph. I, I think maybe Ralph, because we've not seen Ralph at all. Right. Uh, I think he may be a victim of collateral damage due to the events in Infinity War. And that that heartache, because throughout this whole thing of WandaVision, the central theme is, I've lost somebody. I know how that is. Right. Wanda's lost Vision. Monica lost her mother. I think uh, Agatha lost Ralph, or, or, or whoever her husband was. Right. And and that grief that, that has consumed her, because again, that was five years ago, if that happened. Right. So that grief all this time someone, some powerful entity out there probably would have noticed that. And all this cosmic power of the Infinity Stones would have caught the int- uh, the attention of someone like Mephisto. Right. Because uh, they want to covet that power, even though the stones are gone. Ooh, all this happened? All this destruction and chaos? Ooh, what? Uh, that wasn't me that did that? Well, let me find out. How can I sap into this? How can I... Take advantage of the situation. Right. That's what villains do. Villains like that. Uh, so Monica comes to know uh, what the Hex has done to her, allowing her to absorb that cosmic energy. Again, this is, I think, next episode. Uh, Wanda uses that, takes course photon like we talked about, uh, and somehow finds a way to snap Wanda out of it or uh, fights Wanda in some way. Um then Agatha Harkness is defeated somehow. Not killed, but defeated. And uh, Mephisto reveals himself, but withdraws. Doesn't engage. But he reveals himself, uh, notices that he's outmatched, or is this isn't the time to fight, and he withdraws to regroup. Uh, now, before Monica battles Wanda, I think that uh, Agatha is going to have Wanda expand the hex around the world. Uh, this is where we get the mutations in children to happen, because... Another thing that, a little Easter egg, was on the milk crate on the kitchen uh, kitchen counter that changed from a glass bottle to a jug to a, a crate that had missing children uh, thing on it or whatever. Uh, and, again, when this cosmic energy interacts with those who may be descended from Eternals, their latent mutant X-gene activates, uh, and Mephisto's wanting to somehow feast off that cosmic energy causing that X-gene to manifest, to 
grow in power or, or use it, manipulate in some way. Um, so uh, the hex then drops, but not before Sword is ready to strike. Because Hayward and, and uh, company that escaped, uh, they've regrouped. So they are ready to go back uh, and defeat the, the hex or something to, in order for them to get Vision's body. Right. To do all Project Cataract or whatever. That's episode eight. Episode nine is going to be way more action-packed than anything else because it's the, the climactic finale. Uh, I think Vision somehow is able to survive uh, when the hex is dropped. We're going to have Wanda, Photon, and Vision all attack Sword and Hayward. Uh, but this whole plot with the children and, and everything else, I think Mephisto's plot with all that to get all this cosmic energy and everything else uh, gathered up, uh, and as far as him appearing in Doctor Strange 2, is going to lead to an X-Men Avengers crossover event in late Phase 5 or Phase 6 of the MCU titled Inferno. Could be. So that's my bold prediction. <laughs> of er- and it'll take years to happen. But infer- for those not, not in the know, Inferno is a very popular X-Men crossover event. I believe the third such crossover event that happened in the comics uh, that involved various members of the uh, Marvel Comics universe, uh, but primarily the X-Men universe. Uh, obviously, it's going to happen different than how it's going to happen in the MCU. Right. But uh, there were a lot of uh, beings from uh, uh, the hellish landscape of Limbo involved. Uh, so, yeah, I, they're they're not going to be able to duplicate things exactly in the comic, uh, into the MCU. Uh, they, they probably could if they were to do some things differently, but that's besides the point. Right. But I, I, I think we're going to have an MCU uh, version of a crossover uh, with other other properties, not just have it Avengers-focused, uh, but, but have, like, the MCU X-Men, not the Fox X-Men and doing... Flash stuff where it's like, oh, these people are from Earth 2, just jump the portal. No, now that's going to happen. Uh, it's just we're going to get our X Men. Uh, I, I still think there are mutants currently in the MCU that are not necessarily changed because of Wanda. I think Magneto and Professor X and the, the Omega level mutants are out there. Uh, we may even find some in Madripoor that uh, will be seen in um, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, but yeah, th- this is going to be dope. I can't wait. Get get your popcorn ready. Yeah, it's going to be the the ending of the season. The series is going to be just wild. I'm sure. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. it's going to be something. But I I I cannot be on Twitter on Fridays until after I or, or even YouTube for that matter until after I see WandaVision. I'm trying to avoid all spoilers as much as possible. Right. Yeah. That's good. It's tough. That yeah, is. So yeah, I'm I'm excited to see more, uh, for sure. Again, I I'm just happy with the, the stuff like like I said, the slow burn. I, I yeah. think the slow burn really helps the show, uh, do what it's supposed to do, and I, I I like that aspect of it for sure. The the slow burns and the Easter eggs. Yeah. Oh yeah, the Easter eggs are just nuts. You know, that's that's neither here nor there. We know that East, the Easter eggs are just crazy. Like we're like okay Easter egg, uh, like that's that's neat. And they get all these little things 
that you're just like, all right, I, I get it. Like, <laughs> so yeah. Um, but, uh, that's all I had about it. So WandaVision. Uh, WandaVision. Yeah, definitely a good show. Definitely get check it out if you haven't watched it yet. Um, um, I had somebody also on Twitter asking about recommendations of other series to watch and, um, uh, definitely also go watch Doom Patrol. So, okay. yeah. <laughs> I, well, speaking of DC stuff, uh, real quick, um, uh, I have been into the mood for cartoons, uh-huh. uh, things I could have on for, you know, without commercials, it's like 25 minutes or whatever. Right. right? It's like bite-sized consumable chunks of content. And I've tried watching, I watched all season one and two of the original Transformers cartoon. Uh I've tried watching season three. I only made it through like maybe nine episodes. And I'm like, I have had enough. This is stupid. How did I watch this as a kid? And by watching that season, I'm getting some ideas to write another article once I can get things back up and running on my own. Uh, Because... Remember, Transformers is a Hasbro property. Right. And there are a lot of things that Hasbro did with Transformers that they're kind of doing with Magic the Gathering that kind of isn't working out so well if you pay attention to all the things that have been banned. Right. Um, But that aside, I'm like, wow, this is really stupid. All right, I'm done. I've tried holding it off as long as I can. Now I start up Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's it's, uh, all... The palette was cleansed so much, and I'm like, man, I wish they did the DCEU exactly like the MCU, where it's like, let's take one character and focus on them, and you focus on Batman, but not like Christopher Nolan Batman. Kevin Conroy Batman, where he's a detective, he has compassion, he he wants to do the right thing by the law, um, he has villains that are within the law that he has to deal with. Uh, like like uh, Harvey Bullock, um, but uh, he he's doing it to make sure that law and orders uh, is maintained and not just punch a bad guy. Right, right. Like I like what we got in Batman v Superman with Batfleck. We we were we had Batman with Christopher Nolan stuff, and then we're just being injected with Frank Miller stuff. Right, and it's like. But we need Detective Batman. And Batfleck did do some detective stuff. I get that. But, like, can you imagine if, like, DCU start out with Kevin Conroy-type Batman and you start getting Easter eggs of um, manless car-off child or, or something, like in a newspaper right, or right? Right, right. To indicate Superman is out there somewhere, right? Right. Uh, and then Batman starts, invent- things start linking back to LexCorp. And Lex Luthor's running for office, and Batman's got his eyes on him, uh, and, and he starts uncovering, like, businessmen being greedy and and this underbelly of something happening, something building up into something. Then we get Superman and you know his journalistic skills, which are kind of detective work as well. You know, just slow building it up. They rush too much, and it's it's kind of ruined my interest in. Really, any of the DC movies? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't, yeah I'll, I don't, I'll stick with cartoons. I don't, I don't blame you. Like, I think the DC um, 
DC animated stuff, uh, and the, um, like DC, some of the DC live action stuff has obviously been a lot better, uh, in general. So, uh, I, I can feel you. I, I get you there. Cause I, it definitely does feel like it's a little bit better, uh, stuff to watch than the, um, than the actual, like, movies and stuff have been to watch, so. Favorite Batman villain, go. Um, obviously, um, I mean, it obviously kind of has to be the Joker. Clayface. Yeah, Clayface is cool, but, like, and, and I, and I, and I, I say this very specifically, very specifically the Mark Hamill Joker. Oh, sure. Yeah, like, like I, yeah, yeah, I, I get that. Like, that's the episode where I, I stopped. I didn't finish watching the episode. Yeah. So I'm like, uh, just you, you've taken so. It's like sugar. You have so much. And it's like oh, I gotta stop. Yeah, yeah. Um, very, 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 very specifically, Mark Hamill's Joker. Uh, that, that's fair, yeah. and, and I, I look forward to uh, delving into that. And thank goodness Tim Curry did not get that role, or we would not have uh, Mark Hamill Joker. Um, but I, I really like Clayface because he's a villain due to circumstance. And Batman really feels for him because he, he knows the person that Clayface was and is trying to help that help him get back to being that person. Um, and just, yeah, he doesn't treat them like, oh, you, you did a bad thing, so you're punished forever. Like... And and that that's just it's so cool and I just I look forward to more and more and more watching that stuff. So yeah, uh, yeah, I I just think yeah, it's mainly has to be that version of the Joker just for that reason. So because I'm a big I, I'm a huge fan of Mark Hamill in general, but you know, oh, yeah, the guy same. the guy plays he plays crazy good. Uh, you know that's that, that's what I think I like about it. So. I, I hope to meet him one day and tell him not only thank you for the roles he has played, but also to thank him for live-action Trickster from the original Flash, mm-hmm. Flash TV show. Yeah. And the reason for that is uh, back during my teens, I, I didn't like middle school. and I, I really didn't like high school. Heck, I didn't even like moving to where we did. Um, but that's because I'm one who is resistant to change. As you probably picked up on earlier in today's <laughs> topics about magic. Um, but uh, I, I had a rough go of it and did not know how to process uh, things well or express myself well. And uh, it was around this time that I'm getting to my teenage years uh, that the Flash TV show came out. And that, along with Star Trek The Next Generation, were two of the shows I remember specifically that instead of being in my room playing games uh, on the Nintendo, I would be out watching TV, but my mother would also be out there with me. And just that time spent, like, I will always think, when I think of Mark Hamill Trickster, I think of the Flash TV show and watching that with my mom. And that that's something I will carry with me forever. And him doing that, like, I just, I want to meet him and say thank you. Right. Because that, that it just means so much to me. And just what little I know of him being a fan, I, I I already have an expectation that he will take that to heart and be very genuine and appreciative 
uh, of that. Because, I mean, I'm sure he gets all the Luke fan people in, in the world. Like, oh, Luke this, Luke that, whatever. Right. But to have a moment where I'm like the trickster. And not on the recent Flash, but the original Flash. Right. Like, that should be something where he's like, whoa. Like, you know, it, it's that, that one wild card, that wild hair amongst all the Luke fan people. Someone talking about a different role. Right. So, um, and I've never met any TV people. Like, I, I don't go to cons and, and uh, any of that stuff. Uh, and I kind of wish I did, because I, I would have loved to met Stan Lee once. Right. But, um, but yeah, I've, I've never done that. I had a chance to possibly get my picture taken with Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. Glad I did. So, uh, I was like, I could do this and, and be like, Hey, honey, and like point to Kevin Sorbo, and but uh, yeah, no, I'm glad I didn't because uh, yeah, yeah, gar- garbage human beings. Yeah, um, so, he is. Yeah. Wow, yeah, yep, yep. that's funny. But anywho, yeah. Um, what was I gonna say is uh, you mentioned Stanley. The one thing I thought was very interesting about uh, the Stanley aspect of things is that um, I was watching. Have you watched that um, that Marvel six one six? show yet at all oh that that just recently launched yeah so yeah i i didn't so i've started watching that and one of the things that one the very first episode is really interesting uh because it's about the japanese spider-man yes Uh, and (laughs) and the whole thing is about how they brought the japanese spider-man to life oh my god and it's really cool and near the end of the episode, uh, go, go power Rangers. where they're talking about, you know, the guy who was over there, who was helping, you know, who belong, who worked for Marvel, who was over there kind of making the whole thing happen. Uh, they had brought in, uh, a bunch of the executives from Marvel and they, had, and Stan Lee and whatnot to sit and watch the pilot. And at the end, all the executives were like, Oh my God, what have you done? This is garbage. I hate it. Like this is, you're never going to work again. Like I, I don't like this. This is who in their right mind would watch this or whatnot. Right. And on the other side of the table is Stan Lee and he stands up and he starts clapping and he's like, I love it. That that's, that's so good. And, <laughs> I, 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 there are so many stories about Stan. Oh yeah. Like that. And, and in the credits, they actually, um, the year that they unlocked that footage, because it only ran for a year. It was only a year-long series. The year, I think it was like 2009, they unlocked that footage and they released that show to countries other than Japan. And one of the big things they talked about was that the first person to get like the most exclusive of copies of, the, of that stuff was the show's biggest fan, and that was Stan Lee. And they had this whole bit where they had the Japanese Spider-Man uh, guy dressed up in the Japanese Spider-Man outfit come in and was hanging out with Stan Lee. And I'm just like, too cool. <laughs> and he had him posing and everything. He was just like, do this, do this, do that. And he's just like so excited. You could tell he was just a big kid about that's, it. And that's I, and I was awesome. Just like, and, and for those who don't know why I started singing Power Rangers, seriously go look at <laughs> yeah, Spider-Man. Yeah. Like... It, I I really well if you think back to it, um, that was around the same era that we had Shogun Warriors, and 
the live action Godzilla movies were like real big. So all that stuff was popular and it was incorporated into a, a telling of the Spider-Man character. Yeah. But like in Japan and yeah, a lot of things kind of just fed off each other. Oh yeah. Uh, I, th- I think there's even a, um, I don't know if you watch this YouTube channel, but I do and I love it. Uh, I think there's an, ep- uh, an episode of uh, Toy Galaxy uh, on YouTube that talked about the Japanese Spider-Man. So that's also another source to go look at. And, oh man, it's it's so, it, it's like, it's so cheesy, but so funny. It, it just, it's, it's so good. It's way better than Spider-Man skulking in daytime shooting nylon ropes from his web shooter on CBS. Because Spider-Man used to be live action here in America. Uh, back in the day, uh, to, to compete with Wonder Woman and the Incredible Hulk, uh, and that was, oof, that was that was bad. Um, but yeah, this Japanese Spider-Man, mm, it it's good stuff. It goes places. It literally, <laughs> yeah, it does. Places. Yeah, and you're just like, okay, wait a minute. Like, and you're just, <laughs> yeah. watching the footage, you're just like, uh, what? Why is there a, why is there a robot? <laughs> Why is the robot a sphinx? A Spider-Man in a mech. Yeah. So why good. why is it a sphinx? First of all, like <laughs> yeah. they even asked they even asked the guy like, so did anybody might point out that the robot wasn't a spider? Right. And he was like, nah. He goes, I just designed the stuff and people seem to like it, so that's what we went with. <laughs> it was yeah. just like, all right. Then. <laughs> yeah. Like everybody thought it was fine. Like nobody thought to ask the question of. Whether or not it was should have been a spider or not. Oh you know? uh, man, so. it, like Japanese imports, man, from the late seventies uh, through the eighties and nineties. Ah, oh, just so much good, good, good stuff. All right, I think we should probably start putting a wrap on this episode. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're going a little long in the tooth, but yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So episode thirty-five. Woo-hoo. So, um, yeah, uh, if. I mean, honestly, like, let, let's be realistic. If you want to hear the longest podcast on the planet, uh, and I, by quite literally, I mean the longest, uh, you can go check out uh, So Many Insane Plays uh, because they just dropped their 100th episode uh, and two parts uh, and combined uh, listening total of close to four hours. Holy. Wow. Oh, no, wait, wait, that? no. Yeah, about close. No, actually, uh, I think the one episode I li- it was like almost like six to eight hours worth of podcast. Who directed that? Zach Sign? Uh, Zach Snyder? Yeah, maybe I don't know. But Easy for me to the say. weirdest thing is like I started listening to it and I'm like I could still listen to this because Kevin Crone's voice is just like got that kind of like quality to it where you could just listen to it and talk all day. Oh. He's got that radio he voice, does, right? He does. Yeah, okay. he's got a he's got a great voice for this kind of stuff. So he must have went to the radio school. No, it's not, it's not even like that. He's just got this real soothing voice. And you're just, no, that was just a kick. That was just a callback to the uh, uh, local communications quote college end quote commercials uh, back in the day. Yeah. So uh, not quite long as long as that. So, but okay. hey, you know, um, still pretty meaty. Uh, anyways, yep. uh, let's start with having Scott tell everybody where they can find his, him on the internet and we'll go from there. 
Yeah, uh, if you need to reach out to me specifically, uh, you can do that by uh, going to Twitter and sending a tweet to MTG Packfoils. It's all one word. Uh, you can also find MTG Packfoils on Facebook. I know I haven't been active as much on that page on Facebook as I am on Twitter. It's literally like diametrically opposite of each other. Um, think about really shutting down Facebook, uh, to be honest. But uh, Twitter's your best bet if you want to reach out to me. However, if you do want to post something to my Facebook wall, I do check it. Uh, so I will see notifications for that too. Uh, now, Joe writes articles. Uh, Joe, can you tell us where people can read your articles and how to reach you? Uh, yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at VorathXP. You can also find the articles every Tuesday and every Thursday on MTG Goldfish, This Week in Legacy, and Vintage 101 articles. Uh, I'm also on Twitch at VorathXP. I'm also on YouTube at VorathXP. Um, I'm doing a little bit more uh, with scheduling, streaming. Uh, I think I want to do more things like what I did this past week where I have somebody on that kind of has like a deck or knows a deck or whatnot, uh, showcase some people that uh, their understanding of the decks. I definitely wouldn't have been able to navigate uh, that league though as well as we were able to without Colron uh, being, being there and kind of being able to kind of identify ways that we should play the deck. Uh, and that was kind of nice uh, to have that kind of uh, co collaborative effort or whatnot. And uh, so I'm, I want to do more of that stuff. And I think that's going to be more of the things I'm going to do in the future with um, recording on Twitch and recording on YouTube. Now I still might do the occasional uh, record a league or something like that on a deck that I kind of know. Like I'm toying around with recording a league on Karn. Uh, at this point, like just because I feel pretty happy with uh, being playing the deck and whatnot, so oh, the, the current echoes, yeah. Deck. So I'm toying around with with recording a league on that one, uh, but I just got, I have to find the time to do it. And well, I'll be honest, if things uh, go well for me financially by the time we hit summer, um, you know, that that's at least what I kind of mentally project. Uh, I may join you in regards to rental programs and uh, streaming. So I may need to lean on your technical expertise to get up and running. Uh, and, and hey, maybe we can do kind of something similar for like uh, how to how to play a legacy deck. Because Lord knows I, you've cast more brainstorms in your life than I have. Uh, so I, I probably I probably do it wrong. And there is an art to casting brainstorms. Um, so, but yeah, I, any, everybody should be looking at trying to find a way to get better at magic than just sit down and just play magic. Like having something like what you described where you're playing a deck, but someone, the, the creator of the deck or a pilot of the deck is helping you with your plays like that. That's something I think that we all could benefit from. Sure. We can watch other people bash each other upside the head for an hour or two or whatever, like, but are we learning anything? Like, you know, maybe, maybe not. There was, there was, so. there were certain hands and stuff like that, that I felt like I would be iffy on keeping or whatnot with that deck. And Colron would be like, nah, this is totally fine. This is a perfect hand. I'm like, I don't see it. And he's like, no, you, you see this, this, and this. And then I'm like, oh, okay. Now I see it. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know? And there were some hands that were obvious with that deck, but you know, that, but it, it did help. So um, you can also reach the cast 
uh, at the Astrolab cast on Twitter, the Astrolab podcast at gmail.com. Haven't gotten any feedback for a while. Um, would like to maybe have a guest on. I don't know who yet. Uh, at some point I was going to poke around at that concept of doing another guest episode. Uh, so if there's somebody out there that maybe you want to have us talk to, uh, just let us know. Um, yeah. Or if, if you want to be a guest on the show, like if you have a podcast of your own or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Send, send an email to that. Or if you want to send your thoughts on what you think is going to happen in, in WandaVision, send an email there. Um, you may also notice there's not a whole lot of background noise from my end now because I got a new chair. <laughs> if you uh, if you miss the creaks that my old chair was giving, send an email, let me know, and I'll sit back in the old chair for an episode. <laughs> I tried to edit out most of those. Yeah. Uh, but, you know. Yeah, I, I'm sorry about that. You know, it's just a um, uh, pro tip. Check the uh, the weight allowance on your chair before buying. So mm. I'll just leave that there. <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 35 of the Astrolab podcast. So, again, thank you guys for sticking with us, and uh, have a great night, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Yay, Oko's dead. Yay, Oro's dead. Yay.